This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. What a great day because you know what? It's Friday. What better day to end the week on? You know what I mean? You just got to end it. That's what they've been telling Trump forever. Just... W- wouldn't you like to end it on Thursday? No. Well, yeah, but oh, okay. you can't. You could. Well, you just wouldn't keep a job. Okay. It's Friday, folks. You made it through the week, and uh, we're going to make it worth your while because today's not just any Friday. It's a special Friday. It's National Flannel Day. Mm. So if you have flannel, you He's... wear... I'm showing out today. You wear your flannel. You I came to represent. It. You're looking hot. <laughs> a lot of people can't pull flannel off. You know, makes you. It takes a certain type of person. It takes a lumberjack. Oh yeah. Or just if you want that cozy winter clothing, mm, a little flannel for you. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Thank you. Right. Boy, is is spicy mad at me already? Could be. Sean Spicer, doing the Trump dance. Every day. He's only been at it three weeks. Yeah. But every day there's a new article that Spicer's in trouble with his boss. Fake news. Yeah. He's either coming off too strong or too weak, mm-hmm. or he's being imitated by a woman, an aggressive female comedian. Or he's just chewing too much gum. That's yeah. Too. I never noticed the gum thing. It's not something he does. It's something On, he does in his office. Oh, he just, there, okay. there was a uh, kind of an in-depth article, a bio piece on him in, I think, The New Yorker or something. And that was one of the uh, character things they brought up about him is he has a bad habit of chewing cinnamon gum and <laughs> swallowing it. And yeah. it's like 25 pieces a day. He says, it's a horrible habit. I do it every day. Just something I do. It's how he works his energy out. And so you, as a comedy writer, you find those little right. bits and, you know. And instead of like, he doesn't carry his podium around like they made fun of. Nobody grips it all he, the time. He grips it like, here we go. Hang on to this He's one. going to crush it. We got a lot to get into today. Um, some just crazy news. Apparently, you're not allowed in the White House to uh, to pitch people's goods. You're not allowed to be a spoke like a, a, what do they call them? Like a barker and a carnival. Endorse a product. Mm-mm. Someone asked it. yesterday, "Is it now the QVC? Is that what we're watching <laughs> when you watch a press conference in the White House?" QVC live from the White House. Yeah. So we'll get into that and what Kellyanne Conway did, and maybe what the repercussions might end up being um, for that. Plus, uh, Donald Trump, the verdict came out on his ban of the ban. Yes, and it's been officially. Put on hold. Put on hold. Put on. It's been banned. The ban has been banned. No, I thought he understood more than anyone. That's what he says. Yeah, it's on hold. But he's like, game on. Let's take it to the Supreme Court. So right. we'll see where that's going. Um, crazy, crazy. You know, first three weeks. How often do you get? Uh, you know, to the appellate court before your first month? Right. This is this is record setting. It's great. Mm, he's moving fast. Active. Plus, we will be talking about how you should read the idea of unnamed sources, because a lot of times you'll see journalists, and this might be leading to the to Mr. Trump's belief that the news is just fake. Fake. Yeah. It's all fake because you're not even naming your sources. Just fake unnamed news. Sources. Fake news. Yeah. So we'll talk about with a true blue expert on the subject about naming of sources and the role journalists play in. 
uh, also protecting their sources so they can get a story out. So all that fun straight ahead, plus just celebrating Flannel Day. All that. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? The Attorney General of Washington State said Thursday that the unanimous decision by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals not to reinstate President Trump's travel ban showed, quote, no one is above the law, not even the president. Speaking to reporters in Seattle after the ruling was announced, Bob Ferguson says he believes Trump should withdraw his flawed, rushed, and dangerous executive order, which caused chaos around the country. If he refuses, I will continue to work to hold him accountable to the Constitution. In response, Trump put on Twitter after the uh, announcement from the uh, court, you know, in all caps, we'll see you in court. Okay. And, move, you know, so the, the White House thinks they're in the right that the president has the uh, constitutional uh, you know, rights yeah, right. to go ahead and enforce. But that could take we, that country. could take forever. And if it really is a security issue, maybe he just needs to rewrite the order. Could be. But he thinks he has a well-written, well-worded. Okay. Anyone in high school see can you read this in and court out. in a year and a half, I guess. However long this takes, could be next week. Mm. They could, you know, fast track it. Yeah. Who knows? See what happens. Doubt Representative it. Jason Chaffetz of Utah, the chairman of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, said Thursday that top White House aide Kellyanne Conway's promotion of Ivanka Trump's clothing line was unacceptable and clearly over the line. Chaffetz's condemnation of the apparent violation of government ethics rules comes after the committee ranking member Elijah Cummings asked for disciplinary action to be taken against Conway, who said during a Fox News Appearance, go buy Ivanka's stuff. Oh, boy. Which you're not allowed to do. No. The clothing line was discontinued by Nordstrom's, which they cited for poor sales. The White House thinks it's politically motivated. Blah, blah, blah. Story goes on. Mm-hmm. But you can't stand there and yeah. promote a line. So. Well, I mean, I think everyone knows that. Well, they knew now. If they didn't know before, they definitely knew now. On Thursday, uh, President Trump finally spoke to the president of China and committed to the One China policy. According to a report from the New York Times, the Chinese leader had not spoken to Trump since November 14th, shortly before Trump made the unconventional move of taking a congratulatory phone call from the president of Taiwan and expressing doubts about the One Child or One China policy. Uh because he already blew it talking to Taiwan yep. in the first day of right. his win. The White House announced this week the Trump had sent the Chinese leader a letter wishing him a happy Lunar New Year <laughs> and uh, perhaps intentions on improving relations. Trump's national security advisor, Michael Flynn, reportedly spoke to China's top foreign official last Friday to attempt to mend the relationship. Early this morning, the U.S. Senate voted to approve Representative Tom Price as the next Secretary of Health and Human Services. Hey, I thought he wasn't supposed to get through. Yeah, he got through uh, 52 to 47. Right, the next one that got through that wasn't supposed to get through. Right, so he got through. And finally, yes. former mob boss Tom, uh, Thomas Tommy Schatz Gioli oh boy. wants $10 million from the federal government over a ping-pong injury. Gilly, once a high-ranking member of the Colombo crime family, suing over an injury he suffered during a game at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn in 2013, according to court papers. He says he slipped on a wet floor while playing a game, fracturing his kneecap. Oh, boy. His suit argues that the prison is negligent because employees ignored complaints about a leaky pipe that led to the slippery conditions in the recreation area. The federal government, however, says that even ping pong comes with risks. And uh, Gioli chose to take them by engaging in the game of ping yeah. pong. He is uh, he needs surgery and rehab after the fall. The 64-year-old is three years into an 18-year sentence on racketeering. Because, you know, oh, boy. he's a mob boss. Yeah. I feel bad for him. Like, right when he was taken off his career, he could have <laughs> maybe, you know, 
Yeah. Won some free chips. Something. Hmm. But no. That's scary. little uh, wet ground when you're playing ping pong. It's one of my first rules. Always make sure the ground is dry. got to make sure. you got to be aware of your surroundings. <sighs> what do you do? Where, so where do you, you want to start? start? Boy, I don't know because – Let's it, start let, – let, we can go by sort of by time. Let's go by time. As I pulled these clips last night. Okay. So President Trump, about 610 Eastern, it came down that the Ninth Circuit Court in San Francisco ruled to keep the uh, the hold on the immigration ban, President Trump's immigration right. ban. And uh, now – all three to zero. Yeah, everything points to this is going to go to the next level, go to the Supreme Court. So, uh, clip three. We'll uh, see them in court. It's a political decision, and we're going to see them in court. And I look forward to doing. So, you believe the judges made a we have decision. a situation where the security of our country is at stake, and it's a very, very serious situation. So, we look forward, as I just said to seeing them in court. Sir, okay. do, you, do you think this has undercut the Thanks, early guys. days of your presidency? This is such a core no, issue. this is just a decision that came down, but we're going to win the case. And have you conferred with your new attorney general on this tonight? Is he a no, part I of it haven't. now? We just heard the decision. How did you find out about the decision, Mr. President? Just saw it. We just saw it just like you did. I was in a robe. Via the news, et cetera. No. But it's a decision that will win, uh, in my opinion, very easily. Now, the robe story came from sources. We'll talk to the yeah, guy coming up about whether we believe those or Who's not. the real source on if he has a robe or not? And the Trump administration is trying to tamp down on leaks. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But the, the, the amazing thing about it is there's a ton of leaks. For a guy that doesn't yeah. like leaks. And there's sort, there are all sorts of leaks about the leaks. Uh-huh. The reasoning behind yeah. them. Are we trying to communicate to the president? Is right. it a cry for help? Do you remember a leak is what brought down the ping pong playing mafioso guy? That's right. The story we just had. Leaks are dangerous. Leaks can break a knee. So that happened. Okay. Well, while all that was happening all day yesterday, early in the morning, Kellyanne Conway, the chief counselor to President Trump, went on Fox and Friends and said uh, – Asked about the the Nordstrom dust up with the president right. on Twitter, and then she ends up ending the interview by endorsing Ivanka's brand by saying, "Go out and buy her stuff. I have it. It's great." <laughs> Something to that effect. And Enter the, and, the promo code and the yeah, White House and the Fox and Friends uh, uh, crew. They just kind of laughed and moved on. And instantly, all of a sudden, these articles come out. But wait a second, you you can't endorse. No, yeah, things. you can't do that, Kellyanne. There's there's federal laws against just that kind of. It's, don't mention it's it. It's kind of murky. So, um, at the press conference with uh, our our buddy Sean Spicer, uh, spicy spicy people are, are are starting the whole Baghdad Bob concept. Yeah, you know the guy saying everything's great, even though tanks are rolling down Baghdad Main Street. It's yeah. fine. He he is uh, out there, and he had this to say. Clip one. Kellyanne Conway did an interview, I believe it was with Fox News this morning, where she appeared to, from the confines of the Brady briefing room, promote the products of Ivanka Trump. Uh, Do you believe that she crossed an ethical line? Kellyanne has been counseled, um, and that's all we're going to go with. She's been counseled on on, on that subject, and uh, and that's that's it. That's it. Go to KellyanneConway.com. So... (laughs) Yeah, so she, she was the counselor's office. She was counseled. Not sure what that means. She was on Fox News last night. Yeah. So she starts the day with the making the problem on Fox News and ends the day, I guess, trying to Clean fix it, it. I don't know. And it was at the end of a long interview with everything. They'd said, "Hey, by the way, so come hmm. to." Got a lot of pushback, and Sean Spicer spoke about it at the press briefing today, and said that you had been counseled on the matter and that he had nothing more to say. How were you counseled? 
I'm not going to comment on that, Martha. I actually have nothing more to say about it. What about the letter that has come from Chaffetz and Cummings in the House uh, that has gone to the Government Ethics Board? And they say that they consider that to be a very serious, potentially a serious violation of the Government Ethics Code. Well, we're aware of that letter, and we're reviewing that internally. I'm just really happy that I spent an awful lot of time with the President of the United States this afternoon, and uh, and that he supports me 100%. That, so, so apparently... That was she was counseled, yeah, by probably the president. Maybe I'm just so happy it's I'm wearing boss. the most comfortable pants you could find them at Nordstrom. Yeah. <laughs> so it's her boss, right? He, it's a two for one sale if you buy one any, pair of pants. any punishment comes from yeah. her supervisor, which would be Trump. Yeah. So if he decides to do well, something, this is a different him. take because normally she would try to spin it. She'd be talking yeah. around it, but in this case, she just said, "Yeah, I'm not going to comment on that." Really. Well, I at just, first. It sounded like maybe she was trying to do it, but then she came back to the. You know, she goes, I, yeah. I was very grateful to spend a lot of time no, with the, the president. The very today first, she just said, I'm not going to well, comment on that. Like, yeah. that was like incredible restraint. Wow. Right. We haven't seen that there in the White House. We'll have to see. If only she had that same Now, she mentioned uh, earlier. Representative Chaffetz. Yeah. And we talked about him. He's the, the chairman of the House Oversight and Government Committee. He's the guy that's supposed to make sure everybody's following the rules. They sent out a letter. To the White House and to the uh, House Governmental Affairs, no, the Government Affairs Agency to uh, uh, a complaint. It's the Office of Government- Governmental Ethics. Mm-hmm. Sent them a letter saying, hey, this is wrong. This needs to be investigated, that kind of stuff. By the way, the federal, uh, what are the House, this is the Office of Governmental Ethics, their website crashed yesterday for some reason. Well, they got high high levels of traffic. They put out tweets saying website, phone system, and email systems are receiving an extraordinary volume of contacts from citizens about recent events. Uh, they're all looking for the deal and the White House uh, discount code. It had to be a promo Nordstrom. code somewhere. Well, Representative Chaffetz had a town hall meeting last night. Yeah, and people were watching for these meetings. Uh, uh, many members of Congress are going to hold these meetings in the next couple of weeks as they take some. There's it's a, the there's Trump a, blowback. There's a break. There's President's Day coming yeah. up, so there's a congressional break coming up. And so as they go back out after the inauguration to meet with the people, what's the reaction? Uh, if you remember back in, what, 2010, there was a similar reaction from Tea Party. Right. It was the origin of the Tea Party to show up to congressional members' meetings, Republican and Democrat, and basically yell at them. Yeah, but would but would they show up? Because they're not organized. And there's – would the people show up? Yeah. And Apparently so they did. This is the first one. And Chaffetz, representative from Utah. Utah's not really seen as a hostile no. state. But Chaffetz and is a pretty hostile he can be person in D.C. And so uh, he, he, he addressed the Kellyanne Conway. We're not going to play that clip. But he addressed it saying, I did this. Maybe you didn't notice that. And it was one time when the crowd kind of clapped. Like, OK, oh, good there job. You go. Yeah. You did something we approved. But this is some of the, the sounds from uh, the, the town hall meeting. So play clip four. Oh, he's talking about Mike Pence. Yeah. It's hard to hear sometimes. He's the most decent human being around. So, he, again, Mike Pence, he's a decent guy, and the place goes nuts. Um, and then play clip five there. Do your job. See, but this this shows you, again, that this this is just a turnout of everybody that hates Trump. Yes. Because you should still be able to, you know, 
give a nice, wonderful golf clap for the vice president Biden if you didn't like him. You could still say, yeah, he's the vice president. They won. But everyone's booing Pence. Yeah. Now there's reasons politically. This this is, is there going to be a left version of the Tea Party? I don't think so. It's it's too much, I think, to ask for, but because the knows? Tea Party actually had one message, right? No. Well, they, they eventually it was, it was an economic eventually, message. Eventually, but at this point, they did right. Eventually, they, they coalesced behind. Right. So, and then I they took over but Congress. I don't know that the Democrats can have one message because I don't know. the Tea Party was about an economic movement. Yes, but the Democrats are about five hundred issues. Right, immigration. Can, can they organize? Can LGBT. They, yeah. yeah, I don't know that they can. I think they do. They will organize around one idea. Which Trump's is? got to go. Oh, don't you think that's going to be their message? We'll see. I don't know. Organizing's a big deal, but we'll see because there was another uh, event last night in Tennessee. One hundred people showed up. Yeah. So it was smaller, but that person got right. some questions that were kind of uncomfortable. Well, I think every one of them will get a thousand people out. To uh, Representative Chaffetz's credit, he stood there for seventy-five yeah. minutes, answered Taking the questions. It. When the Tea Party first started, you'd see representatives and senators like sliding outside doors and kind right. of running away, and he well, stood there and talked to his people. This is super interesting because this was also in the state of Utah. Yeah. That's probably eighty percent against this, right? So yeah. The, the, Chaffetz won by an enormous margin. Yeah, it wasn't even a so contest. Yeah. You got the thousand people absolutely in the state of Utah that can't stand him, and they all showed up. <laughs> it was fun to watch. The videos are online. If you it's want to see crazy. It. See, this is the deal. I mean, is this a good start for fifty percent of the population? Yeah. This is great. Trump's killing it, doing such a good job. The other 50%, they're going to be getting to every meeting, every town hall, stirring the pot. Well, folks, the rest of us, just hang on. Have faith. Do what you can do. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, fake news and unnamed sources with an expert on the media. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you cut through all this craziness in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, leaks and unnamed sources have been in the news lately, in fact, for a very long time, and seem to continue to become more common. Uh, How can we know what to make of these news articles? So when all of the sudden the reporter is citing unnamed sources at the White House confirm, do we trust that? Because Donald Trump, and as president, is making a lot of stink about the idea that there's just fake news. That you can't trust these reporters because of fake news. And one reason you can't trust them is because simply they're just using unnamed sources. So they could be making it up, right? Well, there's a reason people can't use their sources and, and share their names because the harm could happen to a lot of people. So our guest today is Anthony Fargo. He's an associate professor at Indiana University and the founding director of the Center for International Media Law and Policy Studies And he's here today to talk about an article he wrote, How Should You Read Unnamed Sources and Leaks? Anthony, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. This is, I mean, this has been going on forever, right? I mean, back to Watergate, we weren't able to name sources. 
but they were always triple sourcing things, it seemed like, and they had uh, they had kind of, it seems like, a stronger ethical approach to their sourcing. Is Should we trust unnamed sources and leaks? Give us the background and what we need to know. Well, there are, there are various types of leaks, and there are various types of sources, and uh, you mentioned Watergate, but actually the, uh, the practice of leaking information to the press goes back... Uh, to the founding of the, the country, hmm. actually. I'm pretty sure George Washington was probably an unnamed source at one point. <laughs> right. Uh, the first case, for example, in which a journalist was jailed for refusing to reveal a source was in 1848. <laughs> so, wow. Wow. It's been going on for quite a while. Yeah. There are um, a lot of unnamed sources who probably don't really have a whole lot to fear uh, because oftentimes they're leaking... Uh, information that the administration wants us to know mm-hmm. or that their employers want us to know. Uh, we call these trial balloons, for example, yep. where uh, the administration doesn't necessarily want to put its name on something but wants to kind of gauge how people are going to react to it. So they'll have an unnamed source, uh, somebody who works for one of the agencies or somebody who works in the West Wing uh, will basically pull aside a reporter and say, okay, you can't tell anybody this came from me, but we're thinking about this. And uh, those kind of sources are fairly innocuous and actually just kind of part of the job of doing business in Washington quite often. The sources that uh, have things to fear are the people who uh, we we commonly refer to as whistleblowers. Uh, These are people who see something that they think is wrong uh, going on in their business or in a government agency, want to let someone know, and they haven't been able to get any traction on their concerns within their own uh, employment situation, so they go to the media. Hmm. And those people oftentimes conceivably could face certainly financial ruin uh, if it's found out that they are the source, and uh, even in some you know, extreme cases could face you know, physical danger by talking to the press. And those are the ones I think the journalists will go to the mat generally to try to protect. Uh, The problem we're having now, you mentioned the term fake news. Um, That word has taken on a whole lot of, or that that term has taken on a whole lot of different meanings. Um, Usually, those of us who study journalism, when we're talking about fake news, what we're talking about is stuff that's been made up. Right. Or stuff that has a little kernel of truth to it, but has been blown way out of proportion for oftentimes for political reasons uh, or whatever it might be. Uh, Other people now have kind of co-opted that term to refer basically to any uh, story they don't like. And the danger there is that the public is oftentimes kind of left wondering, well, what's real and what isn't? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is because and then this is where the battle and people even joke about that. Donald Trump would deem anything as fake news that is negative about him. Um, And then even I heard him just use the other day, they were talking about polls and how, you know, polls are truth, except then Donald citing the fact that you were all quoting polls that I couldn't win forever and I won. So those weren't true. It's, but it's this weird battle that, um, and I, what I want to figure out is what we are supposed to do as just your everyday viewer of the news to understand when somebody brings up the idea that there's an unnamed source or, uh, you know, 
people that are being protected because we, we can't always differentiate why they're being protected. Is it the is it the reporter's job to talk about their sources to the degree that they can um, to name their sources when they can versus explain why they can't name their sources? How do I know what to trust? Well, I think the more transparency you get from the media, the better, uh, more comfortable you can feel trusting what they're doing. In some particularly uh, controversial stories, for example, you'll often see uh, a publication like the New York Times or or other publications will even do a separate story about how we got this story Hmm. and explain a little bit about what happened. Uh, Sometimes uh, some news organizations, including the Washington Post and others, uh, employ uh, ombuds who are actually, or they're oftentimes called public editors, and there's people's job is to basically explain to us how the news gets reported. In the stories themselves, what we oftentimes see is, uh, particularly in the last uh, decade or so, um, there was kind of a flurry of uh, of cases in which journalists uh, either went to jail or almost went to jail for protecting their sources. Uh, in the mid-2000s, Judith Miller from the New York Times, for example, um, many news organizations reconsidered and revamped their policies on confidential sources uh, to try to limit the number of confidential sources that were actually used uh, and were quoted in in the press, and also to uh, require a, a, a better explanation about why this person uh, was not named. Hmm. So, for example, you'll see a phrase like uh, a person who spoke on condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to speak to the press. Or, you know, they'll give some greater explanation than just an administration official or something Hmm. like that. Right. And that's very helpful. Um, Unfortunately, not everybody, of course, has, has adopted those policies. And uh, I can understand for readers, certainly, it oftentimes is a little bit of a puzzle. <laughs> what exactly is going on here? Right. Who is this person? Because th- there's a big difference, right, between the – it seems like to me between the training, the experience, the reputation of the New York Times and maybe a new blogger to the field that's just trying to make a name for themselves. They, I'm not sure they all have the same training, experience, Um there's not it doesn't seem to be like a governing association of journalists that would rebuke the journalists and take away their credentials so how i mean i guess we just trust the names i guess and you know yeah, the institutions a, yeah there is a, a you know a code of ethics that uh, has been adopted by the uh, the society for professional journalists but it is you know as you point out it's a voluntary yeah situation most news organizations have uh, ethics policies that they expect their journalists to follow or possibly face disciplinary action or firing even uh, if they don't. And those often mirror uh, what's in the, uh, the SPJ uh, hmm. Code of Ethics. And uh, unfortunately, in, in this area, um, the Code of Ethics is a little bit... Uh, uh, how should I put this? It's a little bit... Um, Two-sided. It uh, says, on one hand, that readers have a right to know who is the source of your story. You should identify them whenever possible, and, and you know, be uh, use a minimum of, of confidential sources. 
but then it also says, however, if you make the promise to someone that you will keep their name confidential, you must keep that promise. Mm. So uh, you're, for the journalist, it's oftentimes kind of a bind. Uh, somebody wants to tell you something, but they don't want to have their name attached. Uh, when I was a reporter, I spent more time than I like to remember uh, telling people, you know, there's really nothing bad that's going to happen if you have your name attached to this. I really need to to quote you by name. And I never really had to use a confidential source, but I wasn't covering Washington. I was yeah. covering, you know, city council. Um, but um, for a lot of people, it is, uh, you know, a big concern. They don't want their name out there. The journalist then has to decide, and they these days they're, thank, you know, thankfully we have cell phones now. We can call our editors. And, right. Okay, I'm talking to this guy. He wants to go off the record with me, um, what do you think? Is it worth it? Because there are, you know, potentially you know, serious consequences for, for the journalist as well as for the source. And the other concern that, that journalists have to keep in mind is that not all sources are savvy about how the media work. So if you basically go to a journalist and say, okay, I have this thing I want to tell you about, can, can we keep it off the record or don't name me? Uh, one of the things a journalist has to think about is would I be willing to go to jail to protect that person Yeah, if it came down to that. And if the magnitude of the story, if it was a huge story and a huge issue and you could trust your source, I guess that's one thing. Um, another another part of this though, sometimes these people could also have – you know, they could have an ax to grind. They could have – they could have – you know, they could be trying to seek retribution and – and hurt somebody too. And so one of the things I guess we – we because there, there's been federal shield laws that, right, that the federal government has tried to create um, to, to enable this to happen for journalists in, I guess, in a healthier way. Have, the, have those laws stuck? Are they still – are they around? Were they passed? There are uh, shield laws in the, uh, in the states uh, that protect you if you're uh, subpoenaed in a state court proceeding. Uh, there is no federal shield law, and currently nothing uh, is being proposed along those lines. Uh, I think the moment may have actually passed for that. Hmm. Um, uh, I mentioned earlier the Judith Miller case. Yeah. There were several others around that time that did spur Congress to, to, uh, to have an interest in this. And, um, and, and just, uh, interestingly, one of the primary sponsors of some of the early shield law proposals, uh, one of them was Mike Pence, hmm. now the vice president. Um, and one of the uh, concerns, I think, was how do you define who is actually protected by such a law? Um, back in 1972, when the Supreme Court uh, ruled on the issue of whether the First Amendment uh, provides a shield to journalists, uh, one of the concerns the court had was how do you define who is a journalist? Right. Because the law essentially, it would actually be unconstitutional uh, in the court's view to to basically force journalists to to get certification or to be basically approved by the government to practice journalism. So there was, even in 1972, that was a concern, and that was well before, you know, the Internet uh, became popular. Mm. So uh, trying to do it now is is problematic. And one thing that basically scuttled the shield law, to be honest, was um, it was being 
considered in the Senate, and about the time it looked like it might be coming to a vote, um, WikiLeaks uh, oh, yeah. got a whole bunch of material, and suddenly senators were going, wait a minute, are we protecting WikiLeaks? That's not what we meant to do. And the law kind of died while they were trying to figure out how to redefine what a journalist was. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, so, that <laughs> that was a sticky moment, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a bad day. Oh, interesting. Anthony, let's take a break. We'll come back and continue the discussion of of what we do to sort through it. If I'm a reader of the news or listening to the news, what should I be listening for to know that this is a pretty legitimate uh, use of um, of sources and and named versus unnamed is one unnamed source enough? Should I be looking for multiple unnamed sources? Interesting insight, folks. We've got to become more literate when it comes to the media instead of just calling everything fake news or, um, you know, not believing anything. Let's let's learn to start to dissect it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're on the phone with uh, Dr. Anthony Fargo. He is an associate professor at Indiana University and focuses on legal issues raised by news gathering practices and techniques, specifically issues raised by the relationships between reporters and their sources. A lot of times you've heard the term unnamed sources or leaks out of the White House, any phrase like that. You know, these reporters are getting the information from people. And are we to believe these people? Or, as uh, Donald Trump, President Trump has said, these, this is just more of the fake news cycle and why you can't trust the journalists, right? Because the journalists are the, like, the, the party fighting against uh, the presidency. So we appreciate you, Dr. Fargo. Thanks for being with us. Oh, glad to be here. When you think about it, um, I mean – you you want to protect the the witnesses you want to protect these unnamed sources is there is there more credibility in having multiple unnamed sources that you can't name is is that the tendency of a journalist if we have to use one unnamed source would it not be better to get two or to get one that is on the record and one two or three that are off the record do multiples make it more legit yeah i generally think so um all of this, this situation generally uh, runs on, on trust. Uh, the journalist has to trust the source. Uh, the source has to trust that the journalist won't, uh, you know, rat them out later. Right. Um, and readers and viewers uh, have to also, to some extent, trust that the journalist is, is not making this stuff up, which, you know, 99% of the time is certainly, you know, something they can usually rely on from the professional media, at least. Uh, the problem right now is there's not a whole lot of trust out there um, on all, all sides. There are an awful lot of people who don't trust the media on all sides of the political equation. Uh, there are uh, a lot of sources who have watched what's happened in the courts in recent years, uh, who have you know, watched Judy Miller go to jail, who have watched other people 
go to jail or be fined, you know, large sums of money for contempt of court for refusing to reveal their sources. And they're not terribly eager to trust that mm. a journalist uh, will, you know, go to the, you know, to the, that extreme to go to jail for them. Uh, journalists, on the other hand, are, are also faced now with a situation where we have a very polarized uh, political uh, climate. Um, how do we know these people aren't, as you said earlier, are not just uh, grinding an axe? Right. Sort of so if you can find more than one person to verify, and most news organizations require that, if you're, going to name, if you're going to use an unnamed source, you need to have at least two or possibly three, or, if possible, can you find documentation that backs up what the source is telling you, or somebody who will go on the record? And journalists generally make a fairly strong effort to do that. Uh, they try to basically avoid, if possible, even using an unnamed source. And unnamed sources oftentimes don't even want to be quoted. Uh, what they want is to tell you, hey, here's this story you've got to check out. And they sometimes will give you suggestions about where you can go to verify using name sources or documentation or something else. Mm. And that certainly is the, the preferable way for it to go. If you have a, a case where you have one unnamed source and perhaps asking other people about the same story is going to tip them off about who your source is, because only maybe one person would be privy to this information, um, then again it becomes a trust game. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, if I'm going to have to rely on this person, and only this person, can this person be trusted? Can we basically say that this person is authoritative and knows what they're talking about, and is in a position to actually know uh, what is going on? And again, then that becomes to, you know, it comes down to how well do we know the source, how well placed is this person, how uh, likely is it that they would be privy to this information, uh, you have to basically, uh, we sometimes call it the smell test. Does it smell right? Mm. Or is this just somebody who's trying to score points uh, that will basically uh, gain them some sort of advantage in some political situation or, I or guess possibly help their own bottom line? Yeah. Well, and that's probably something important for all of us to keep in mind is that in the traditional model of journalism, the journalism, the journalist's reputation, their credibility, their character, their integrity is all they had to to sell. Um, and so they they would want to keep the sourcing as effective and legitimate as possible. But as we enter this new and different news cycle, for example, now as you watch the press briefings with the president and Sean Spicer, and now they're bringing in journalists maybe that would be considered a different level, um, maybe more local journalists, um, talk radio pundits that are that they're bringing into now the press corps to ask questions to the press secretary during their meetings. Does does that as they're broadening out what a journalist is or one that at least could get access to the press, the spokesperson for the president, is that altering some of this um, legitimacy as well? Well, it is a concern. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a tendency on all of our parts to want to hear people say what we already think or, or that we already agree with. And that kind of plays into what the audience believes is credible oftentimes as well. Finally, we've got somebody in there who is 
asking the questions I want to have asked. And, right. Uh, and that's great. And, I, you know, that doesn't mean, just because this person may be partisan, it doesn't mean that they don't have a certain degree of credibility. But you kind of sometimes have to wait and over time and see how that goes. And I think people who come from a partisan uh, press, a partisan uh, media outlet, come in with a handicap of of not a lot of trust from people who consider themselves objective, who look at all sides, who, you know, are a little bit uh, worried about somebody who comes in with an agenda. And you have to build trust up over time. If if somebody is basically following the general rules of, of, you know, practice that you get as much sourcing as is possible, that you, you know, play the story straight, you don't skew it in one direction or another to fit your own particular needs, or you don't ignore obvious sources who could give you conflicting information, then, you know, that there's nothing to say that those people can't be trusted or that you shouldn't trust them, but that takes time. And as you say, we have now people who nobody's ever heard of, right? Uh, who are suddenly showing up at, at who have, you know, what we do know about them is that they come from a background where they've been highly partisan. Yeah. And now they're in the briefing room. Um, do you do you automatically trust that? I, I don't. But um, I wouldn't trust that if, if they were brought in by President Obama. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't trust that if they were brought in by Donald Trump, because I would worry. Uh, are they actually asking questions based on a real interest of telling us what's really going on, or are they asking questions to try to skew the conversation in a direction that they favor? And again, until they kind of prove themselves, like anybody else, um, I mean, I feel the same way oftentimes about professional journalists. I would be nervous if a 23-year-old intern was, you know, quoting uh, a source about something like Watergate. Right. You know, I would have wondered, wow, how does somebody that knew know what to do? Right. So, uh, you know, we have the famous case, you know, a prime example of that was the Washington Post got badly burned uh, 35 years ago by Janet Cook, a practically brand-new reporter who came in with this fantastic story about a seven-year-old heroin addict. But she said, I can't tell anybody who who the sources are because they'll put the kid in danger. They run the story. They win the Pulitzer Prize for feature writing, and it turns out it was completely made up. Mm. So uh, I would have been a little nervous about saying to a brand new reporter who just started, "Yeah, let's uh, run this incredibly explosive story, uh, and uh, we're going to trust you completely that uh, that so much so that we don't even ask you who your sources are." Yeah. And Washington Post did a considerable amount of soul searching after that, as you might guess, and and changed many of its rules for how it dealt with uh, with sources as a result of that. I'm not saying that uh, anybody in the briefing room right now is going to do the next, you know, uh, spectacularly fake story. Mm. But, but what you don't know at the moment is what what is uh, what is their credibility? What is their uh, agenda, if they have one. And it seems like maybe that's the key, the smell test. Um, if it doesn't smell right, if it doesn't feel right, it, think about it, investigate it. 
Well, it's great insight. Uh, we appreciate you, Dr. Anthony Fargo. Thank you for your time and your uh, just your guidance. It's it's complicated. You want to trust, but you also have to verify, right? And as we come down to this new president with a lot of chaos and, and issues going on around him, especially a lot of pushback on the media, you're, we're all we're all still part of this, right? You're a viewer. You're a reader. You can you can have a say as well. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. The Matt Townsend Show. Who better to uh, stir the pot a little bit here than McKenna Baus, one of our great producers and social media queens, hey. gurus. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. So you've got a new uh, a new club we can join. Yeah. So for those of us who want to, you know, be in high school again, or for mm. those of us who currently are, there are high schools around the country that are starting nap clubs. A nap club. Yeah. Like to take a nap. Exactly. And the best part is, is it's not an after school thing. This is a thing that you do in the middle of your school day. You get to go and sit down, lay down, take a nap. Some of them provide, you know, little sleep pods. Some of <laughs> these schools have like free tea that they'll give out to help you know, like soothe your. This isn't a new self. idea. We I did this in preschool. Yeah, I guess they're just like upgrading it. For yeah. The, Do they the have millennium. cracker time where you get some crackers and then you get nap time? That's what would get me there. But high school kids need it because they're not getting enough sleep. Yeah, the majority of teenagers these days aren't getting enough sleep. And that's that's a problem. You know, they're growing. They need to be healthy and have Do they get the credit sleep. for this? You know, that that part I don't know. Probably I not. not. But part of the question is, you know, are we coddling students by giving them these nap times? You, because... It's either their job to make sure they get enough sleep or their parents' jobs to say, hey, yeah. get off the Xbox and go to bed. You know, is it really is it the coddling? school's place? I don't know because Jeff and Colin, when they're running the board, they're always sleeping. So it's almost like it's, n- it's not <laughs> coddling. But it, we know and the research shows we, we're, they're not getting enough sleep. That's true. And they also – we should be starting their schools later than yeah. we are, and we don't, mm-hmm. according to some of our last guests or recent guests. Um, but ah, then I can hear every adult saying, oh, my word. When I was a kid, yeah. I had to walk uphill to school both ways in, in the, the snow, snow and then didn't get to sleep. <laughs> and still didn't get a nap. Uh, so, But if, if it works, like if, if, I, if I knew my kid could go take a 20-minute nap, maybe you don't need a, a club. Maybe what you need is – Everybody gets a heads down on your desk for 20 minutes after an hour after lunch. Yeah. And a lot of these schools, some of them are using it almost like in place of study hall. You know, a time where you would get to just work on your homework, which I think makes sense. But my question is, is this just sort of putting a Band-Aid on the issue? And is it not really dealing with the actual problem of – we're either structuring things in such a way that kids can't get the sleep they need because, you know, their biological rhythm says they should be getting up later. Right. And we, and we don't care about that, right? Yeah. Or the fact that, you know, are we 
you know, overextending right. our kids by making them, you know, take four AP classes and yep. they're on two different sports teams and then they have their couple of clubs that they do and volunteer work. And those people need a nap. And then there's the other kids that don't have those parents pushing and they're just going to use the nap for something else. Yeah. To just play a video game or to hang out. I think you're I think you're onto something there that we we probably need to solve the real issue. Is this a limited enrollment? Yeah, so, yeah. There's only so many cots. You gotta. This gotta is why I. It's an extensive Here's application. Here's why I am super self-profile story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's a great. It's a great question. And if your kid needs to enroll in that, then guess what? They're telling you something. Yeah. They probably need more sleep. Probably. But teachers and administrators, let's solve the real problem. Like, why do kids need a nap in high school? Mm-hmm. It's. I mean, adults don't get a nap. Yeah. But the research shows we do better when we do. That's I, why I take two a day. I want one. I need I oh, need yeah. naps. Well, McKenna, good questions. Good job. Go take a nap. You you can relax now. We uh, we'll take a break, folks. Come back and uh, you think about it. Do your kids getting enough sleep? Do they need nap time? Fun, fun, fun. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Dr. Matt Show. This is uh, the program where we give you the tools, the information, the skills you need to live a healthier, happier life. Most of us didn't, uh, we weren't born with a handbook. But boy, if we had, mom would have been so mad. Um, we instead on the show bring you the latest, greatest information, the, the research you need. There's a ton of great uh, professors out there working really hard, right, to inform us. But a lot of times you don't know about their research. And so we like to bring it onto the show. Also today we, we always um, – every day we celebrate the tradition or the holiday of the day, many holidays you don't even know about. Today is the National Flannel Day. This is a day where you celebrate flannel. Colin today sporting some flannel. All flannel. I'm wearing flannel golf pants and wow. a flannel shirt. I'm decked out. You are decked out. I'm really taking this day seriously by storm. That's great. That's great. Some, I mean, some people don't do that. Jeff, when he runs the board, he doesn't get into the days quite like you do. But uh, guess, guess you just know. Who to go with now? Yeah, go, yeah. Who to take seriously? Wow. We um, we got a lot to cover today too. We are going to be talking about your your businesses. If you have a small business, family run business, there's some tricks to running a family business. You can't just fire grandma. At what point do you fire your kids? Yeah. What point do you just draw the line and Junior's got to go? But a lot of because a lot of small businesses they don't succeed. Like second generation can't pick it up like the first generation did. So how do you make the handoff? How do you create uh, that success so it's sustainable? Like our president. Like our president you just can't seem to hand that off. Sometimes it's hard to hand those Sorry. those businesses off. That was a different thing. Yeah, I think we're talking different things now. <laughs> um, we'll get into all that fun about person or family businesses, and of course. Um, we're going to talk about bad dating. 
Mm. Leanna Tan doing a little tangent for us. She's going to talk about a bad date. No, these are her tangents are truthfully tangents. They're they're they are full on tangents. Like you're on a different subject, and then she just starts going off on something else. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, where did that come from? Focus. Yeah. So we'll get to that excitement, but uh, also we're going to talk about that chewing. Do you have? Do you know somebody that chews, and when they're chewing their food, it actually irritates you? Yes, absolutely. Colin, shut your mouth, brother. I've had some recent experience with with that. Yeah, because it may actually say more about you than them. No, I think this said a lot about them. (laughs) You eat like a pig. It's like, close your mouth. It might be that, that you have a little problem with your brain. We'll talk about it. If it's like you experience this often, right? Not just when certain people. Is it selective or is it always? It would be pretty much always. Mine mine is selective. Okay. And it's mainly when people chew with their mouth open. Yeah. One, it's noisy. You don't want to see it. Who wants to see that? Manners. Right. Right. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll, We'll do a little test. Now it's raining? Sorry, just eating my breakfast. Wow. Are those Rice Krispies? Wow. Um, We'll get to all that fun. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? On Thursday evening, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously decided against restoring President Trump's ban on travelers from seven Muslim-majority countries. And in their ruling, the three-judge panel invoked Trump's numerous statements about his intention to enact a Muslim ban The suit was filed against Trump by the states of Washington and Minnesota, and in the decision, the judges wrote, the states argued that the executive order violates the establishment and equal protection clauses because it was intended to disfavor Muslims. In support of the argument, the states have offered evidence of numerous statements by the president about his intent to implement a Muslim ban, as well as evidence uh, they claim suggests that the executive order was intended to be that ban that he was talking about. Okay. Though the White House says this is simply uh, extreme vetting. This is a way to uh, look at areas of the world that have problems right now when it comes to terrorism. Or Why a- would you start believing Trump now? I'm just giving the White House's <laughs> argument. This That's is going to. So... This will be in the Supreme Court. This is going to go right. on for another couple weeks, probably. Uh, not working in uh, President Trump's favor is that uh, this ban he said would favor Christians over anyone else because he said Christians are kind of getting the short end of the stick on this even though they're not yeah and um, he also told Rudy Giuliani as we heard a quote last week Rudy Giuliani said that when the Muslim ban was announced way back in what was it December mm-hmm. after the San Bernardino shooting that president or candidate Trump at the time came to him and said help me make this Muslim ban legal hmm Those are not working in the president's favor. So we'll see how that goes. According to a report in Reuters, based on a review of internal documents produced by the Department of Homeland Security, President Trump's proposed wall at the border with Mexico could cost up to $21.6 billion and take more than three years to make. Trump was previously cited a $12 billion figure for the project, and both the House Speaker Paul Ryan and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell have said that it could cost up to $15. The report is expected to be presented to the Department of Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly in coming days. It doesn't matter what it costs because we're not even paying for it. Well, we're going to get a rebate. (laughs) And you know how long it takes to get rebates. Yeah. Six to nine months. 
And then if they're just doing that to make you forget. The Mexican government's going to pay for it. The people, we're not paying for it. Promising the start of a new area era of justice, President Trump signed a series of executive orders Thursday that outlined his administration's top crime-fighting targets, international drug traffickers, attacks against cops, illegal immigration, and recent uptick in violent crime. America faces many challenges. We face the menace of rising crime, the threat of deadly terror, and it's not getting better, Trump said before signing the orders and swearing in the man who will carry out his agenda, Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Hmm. But it will, it'll, it will be very soon, Sessions warned, that the increase in crime was a dangerous permanent trend, an assertion that many researchers say is not backed up by data, Murder and violence uh, rose in 2015, but remains at historic lows, according to federal crime statistics from the FBI. Okay. So whichever story you want to believe. Yeah, just believe what you got to believe. And finally. Yes. Where do you go to register? When, when people register for weddings, mm-hmm. where do they go? Well, they go, a lot of people go to Target. Yeah. Bed, Bath, and Beyond That's kind of places. One. I'm sure some could do it at Walmart. Home furnishing type yeah. things. Because you're trying to, right. you're trying you to build a home. you got a lot of stuff. You, you need a lot get. of items to start a house. You need right. to buy bath towels. For right. you got to have these things. How are you going to get dry? Um, what about Domino's Pizza? No. The do bu- they do that? The budget-friendly pizza chain has launched a wedding registry site. Couples can enter their names and info, and their friends and family can buy them pizza for before, during, or any time after the wedding. Wow. They finally listened. I put this in the suggestion box every time I order. There but op- you're not getting married, are you? Oh, wow. Well, so- sorry. There are options for bachelor and bachelorette parties, wedding receptions, and low-key date nights down the road. Valentine's Day is right around the corner, so we want to give recently engaged couples who are passionate about pizza the chance to register for something they both truly love as much as their partner, says the Domino's PR person. That's cute. Choosing wedding gifts can be daunting, especially if couples can't agree on what to register for. Our registry aims to bring couples together over their shared love of pizza. Who doesn't love pizza? Donald Trump. No, he likes pizza. He eats it with a fork, so, so, though. He eats it with a fork. Yeah, yeah. We, There's a problem. A major with that. violation. All the pizza gifts will You're come. Wrong. All the pizza gifts will come in the form of an e-gift card, okay. which can be used to order the, the when pizza. When you think about it, that really is a great present because then I don't. Because I don't know. Do I want to buy you a plate? Like when you go to those right. registries and you end up just buying someone a plate yeah. or a I, cooler. I couldn't afford a whole plate, so instead I just bought you a spoon. Yeah, they'll use it. Yeah. But it's good. Sure. And then eventually you get all of your silverware. And or everything. you get four toasters and then yeah. you just have more gifts to so pass in, on toasters. Isn't it better to just say, I'm going to give you some pizza. Bye. Cash. Yeah. What about something useful? Just Can they like money. pay off your no, student loans? But, but like my, Is there a registry for that? My, yeah. That, student, that, that would actually be really smart too. Like if they just gave you money for student loans. Yeah. Listen up, banks. That's a great idea too. Just cash. Just, just give cash. Always but, cash. No, but cash – Cash isn't a gift. Cash and a smile. That's all I need. Really? Yeah. You used Look. to call them loaded handshakes. Yeah. Here's a 20. There you go, son. Handshake. Thank you, sir. Take this $5 bill and go buy yourself a drink. Yeah. So $30. What do you need $10? That's good stuff. Okay, I like that. That's a great gift. Domino's Pizza. Domino's Pizza. It delivers. Allegedly. Mm-hmm. In more ways than one. What? Um, so... We got a lot to get to talk about. One thing that I've got to get to is this chewing scan. Listen to this. Many of us find the sounds of our loved ones eating annoying, 
uh, or eating food, we find it annoying. We, it drives us crazy. It like It's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Yeah, it's just – For some people, sounds like this one trigger an extreme reaction. One sufferer of the condition is called um, – one diagnosis is called misophonia. And misophonia, the lady equates it to – it's like getting punched in the face every time you hear someone in your family eating something. Wow. Ice or chips or – Right. And it really – it you just want to get physical. Wow. It's crazy. Now scientists have shown that the condition has a real biological basis and goes way beyond just someone being irritable. Brain scans show that people who find the sound of chewing, breathing, or numerous other conditions unbearable have a genuine brain abnormality. People with misophonia can respond with an intense fight-or-flight reaction, and researchers at Newcastle University found that they have a difference in their frontal lobe with those that are suffering misophonia. Their brain is actually different. It has a biological difference. And they also found people with misophonia experience an increased heart rate and sweated when confronted by the trigger sound. Oh, wow. So if all Physical of a sudden reactions. you start wanting to, to, A, punch someone in the face at dinner, you start sweating, um, you you get kind of flushed, hmm. and you're reaching for your sidearm even though you don't have one. Is that not Thanksgiving dinner with extended family? It could be for a lot. That's why a lot of people don't like Thanksgiving dinner. That's right? why it's triggered. The difference is in emotional control mechanism, and in their brain, they have to learn to overdrive the emotional reactivity. Wow. And and create a healthier way of handling it. Couldn't the rest of the family just chew quieter? No. Close their mouth? Well, I mean, yeah, but what happens when you go to a business lunch and the boss is just like, yum, yum, Just slide a little note over. Don't chew like a horse. Just kind of slide that over. Excuse me, Mr. Ed. <laughs> I know I'm trying to land the business here. A loaded but, handshake uh, with a note about yeah, yeah, yeah. chewing. Can you chew less like a horse? Uh, so we're going to do a little test for you, Terry. We, we will give you some sounds, and I'd like you to listen to them. We're okay. going to diagnose if you have misophonia. Mm. We also want to know. You um, are a doctor. I'm a doctor. Yeah. And I play one on the radio. Yeah. But I want to know which of these sounds is most irritating to you. Oh, okay. Here we go. Okay, that's that's kind of annoying. It's kind of a wet. Yeah, kind of gross. It's a wet. I think that's the best one. It mm. sounds like a dog. Mm. Okay, next. Some Doritos. Yeah, and corn nuts. Huh? It sounds like it's on the toilet too. Yeah, it's kind of watery. Yeah, so weird. I think they're in the tub. This, this isn't even chewing. Is it like? I don't get what this is. This is rice crispy. Is it like rice crispy? Is it pop rock? Okay. It goes on for a minute. Yeah, let's stop that one. Huh. Is that it? That's so, all of them. I mean, I can give you some more if you want. There's. Do you like the moist kind of lapping up of a dog sound? Hmm. Or just that, does the crunching drive you crazy? What about the gum slap? Now, now, personally, when I eat things that are crunchy, I get annoyed because I can't hear the TV over the crunch. I know. Then you got to turn the volume up. Yeah, and it just kind of it causes problems Is that, that a way. sign of the times? Yeah. That's why you just you're supposed to eat those puff Cheetos because they can just dissolve in your mouth. Absolutely, um, probably the more wet chewiness because hmm. that 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 sounded like someone was really trying to make that sound. It sounds Which like somebody was swimming a lap. They're annoying. They're, they're, they're trying to be annoying, and it's working. Yeah, yeah, that one right there. 
Yeah, See, but again, gross. does it annoy you enough that you get flushed and no. it's like it's time to rumble? No, but there there was someone in within the last week or two. Yeah, I didn't want to, but I mean, it was more just looking over and just severely judging everything about yeah. them because of the way they were chewing. Oh, sure. As long as you're severely judging, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a guy. It wasn't his chewing. It was this sound. He did it every time he'd take a spoonful of food. He'd go, um. Ah, uh, yes. Um, what about people who drink soda um, and after every drink they're <sighs> Or I have a friend that when he drinks soda, he's, he swishes it around in his mouth. Ugh. <laughs> he foams at the mouth. It kind of ruins that Pepsi commercial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's interesting. But if it bothers you, you may have misophonia. And if you have that... Um, so what, brain surgery? No, but oh. you need to know that you're not... Just crack the skull open, go in there and fix it? Get the chewing <laughs> chip out. Well, I mean, if all of a sudden you're meeting the in-laws and you want to punch your mother-in-law in the face because right. she's chewing on her eyes because she's iron deficient, then you need to know you have misophonia and you probably ought to learn to control. Oh, wow. You're reactive. So it's more of a personal... Yeah. challenge to overcome rather than right. making other people but submit. The, well, the rest of your life, huh. I mean, really, how terrified could you make a family? Your whole family doesn't dare eat. All Every meal you have is like liquid. Just don't have a meal together. That's It's fine. Yeah. Just don't eat together. But families need to eat together. Uh, do you? Sorry. Yeah, that is. That's families the, that eat together, stay together. That's it. That's right. They also gain weight together and <laughs> they do a lot of other fun stuff. So we, uh, we're just helping you out, folks. Misophonia is what it's called. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, your home business, your family-owned business, any of these businesses that are so hard to hand down to the next gen. We'll get some tools, some information on how to do that. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you make some money, keep the uh, family business alive. Well, friends, whether it's a farm, a bakery, or olive oil importing, getting involved in a family business can be a dangerous endeavor. How do you navigate the tricky world of business when personal relationships are on the line? Here to discuss is Kathy Colby. Kathy, along with her daughter Amy Brusky, wrote the book Business is Business, Reality Checks for Family-Owned Companies. Kathy, thank you so much for being with us. You're very welcome. Now, I've, I've noticed just in my own life and uh, watching friends and their families and their family businesses, it doesn't seem like a lot of times it, you can hand them down very well. It takes like a really intentional plan to, to hand a, a business from one generation to another. Is that, is that real? Is that accurate? Oh, you're so right. It is very, very real. Only 15% of family businesses pass down to the third generation. Wow. Why? Well, I think it has a lot to do with they just don't understand some of the basic rules. That's why Amy and I wrote this book. I've been running a family business for 40 years, and I grew up in one. And so we're into the third generation. And we have just had to find on our own some of the rules that make it work because there were no books, there were no guidelines, there's no university course in this. Right. And people make a lot of mistakes they just don't need to make. So that's that's why we were compelled to do this book. Give us give us some of the mistakes that we're making that people make 
that that are pretty common sense to you, but maybe not so common sense to everyone else? One of the very first ones is don't call each other mom, dad, sis. You know, family names shouldn't be in the workplace. When you are at work, you are focused on work, you are professionals, and you don't bring the family stuff there. Huh. So it, it's really hard, particularly on non-family members, when you do the little snarky things you might do on a personal level. Just right. no place for that. Yeah. The other thing that kind of goes along with this on the other side of it, don't take work home. So if you're fighting over some financial issue at work, you don't discuss that at home at night. You just drop a veil that says, we're done with business, we're home. Hmm. Boy, that because I didn't think that a lot of times in a family-owned business, you might even be driving in the same car. You might be going <laughs> to the same house or the same neighborhood. So you really could continue business all night long. Well, I've worked with my husband for 32 years, and my daughter, who with whom I wrote the book, is actually my stepdaughter. So that's a pretty interesting relationship. Yeah. When we called to tell her we were getting married, she hung up on us. Hmm. But now we're so close, she's the president of the company, and my son is the CEO. So we have a lot of interesting relationships in our family, and we consult with over 300, actually 3,000, I should say, family businesses. So we know the issues, and what we see are some very common mistakes. If you can separate business and family, you can get the business benefits and still have a family life. Mm. One of the things that's so great about having family members in the office is they've always got each other's back. Yeah. Yeah, you can and trust you that. that. Yeah, at work, you know, sometimes it's hard to know, well, who's really on my side? Well, your family's usually on your side at work. And and I guess that's I mean, that's huge. I, I as I think about it, it's hard enough to make a business work let alone a family business. It's also hard enough to make a family work. And yeah. so you, you really I guess what you're teaching us is we've got to be we've got to be careful to it, it's work. No matter how you look at either of these, they're work and um keep work at work, keep home at home. Yes. And yet there's a, there's such a nice touch about working with each other because not only do you have each other's back, but you know the values and we found sharing common values is so important. It makes work easier when you're working. Mm. I don't have to worry as the founder of a business that the key members of my company who are family are going to carry out a very tough decision with the same values, the same ethical values, the same financial values. I don't have to teach them as employees why I believe certain things. They've grown up believing similar things. That is extremely helpful to the growth of a company. That is such such good advice. I also just, how many times in companies are we trying to get these values into the hearts and the minds of people and a mission statement and a purpose and the history of the company, but family members, I guess, are more apt and likely to carry it? They come into the business with it. Because, well, at least in our family, and we preach this to our clients, it is important to only bring in those family business people who share. So, in other words, if there's a nephew, if there's a kid who doesn't share your business values or doesn't work as hard as you work, 
don't bring them in the business. Yeah, it's no place to teach them worth ethic. If they don't have it, don't bring them in. Don't bring them in. Well, too, it seems like it's harder to fire a family member, right? So bringing oh. them in, if they're not the right, I mean, you got to make you got to be really smart about who you bring in. Yes, because it is ghastly to have to fire a family member. But by the same token, if you have done it right, if you followed the rules we give you for running the business, then you're not really firing them. What you're sitting down and saying is, look, this is not healthy for any of us. It's harming our personal relationship. It's harming the business because it will harm both. You can't keep a weak link in the company who is a family business. Um, I mean, it, it's so important that if a family member isn't cutting it, you recognize it as soon as possible and change it because it won't work for the company, that's for sure. Non-family members will resent it. Mm. Because this is an asset, right? I mean, a lot of for a lot of the people, this is going to be something dad could have sold maybe and been an inheritance, but instead you guys are running it into the ground. Boy, you've got that right. Yeah, it's hard when other family members who aren't in the business know that this is part of their financial success, part of their security and their inheritance will be affected. So we also talk in the book about some very realistic ways of communicating. If you don't communicate with every family member about some of the basics of what's going on, if they feel left out, they they can cause harm. Mm. So true. And and the harm will usually be on the family side, not the business side. But there's so many sticky wickets. It's, It's a tough, it's a tough, road. But I wouldn't change it for anything. I have been doing it for decades and I love it. I love the fact that I get up in the morning and everything I do in our work, we help humankind, but we also help each other. And we have the joy of working together. Writing this book with my stepdaughter could not have been more joy-filled. Oh, what a beautiful, really, testimonial that is, because that that in-law or that or that uh, step relationship you know it's 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 difficult as well what do we do another idea that um, just came to my mind is there's this weird generational dilemma we face where the younger generation may be more informed as to new technologies new ways of doing things maybe sometimes even have more education more experience um, just because the the older generations allowed uh, created the ability to do that how how do we how do we transition to uh, still respecting the older generation that got them there, but yet segueing into the new world? Well, I am the older generation, and what's been important to me and what we write about in business is business is the fact that if you care about your business and your family, you have to be aware of and open to the fact that you're wrong sometimes. Right. As strange as that may seem to some of us, we're not always right. And I think the importance of that is open communication. So we have a whole chapter on how to communicate through differences, differences of opinion, different generations, different gender issues. It's so critically important that honesty prevails. 
And if you're open and honest about the good things and you're aware of why someone succeeds, then you can also be very open about why something doesn't work. In our case, one of the things I always ask for is that we meet with both family and non-family members on big picture issues and say, what is it that we should not be doing? We always talk Mm. about what are we not going to do this year, not just what are we going to do. And some of what we're not going to do is let mom continue to make these kinds of decisions because she's not up to date on them. Yeah. And 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 then yeah and but really that's a pretty powerful thing. You're trying to intentionally involve everyone and then make sure we're asking kind of what works and what doesn't. If you don't involve non-family members, if you have this little click of family members making decisions, you won't make it to the third generation. It'll just wear out. Well, what happens is is you talk to yourselves and you don't refresh, you don't get new uh, opinions, You, your focus is on what you believed a few years ago and you don't get past that. We believe very strongly that we have to bring in non-family members with different levels and types of expertise. We have to be constantly learning. And if we believe as strongly as we do about the purpose of the business, then the family members have to step aside sometimes and actually work for non-family members who are higher in the in the decision-making channels of the company. And mm. that's interesting, too. Oh, yeah. Not every family member can be a top leader in the company. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's it, too. Don't assume because you, the person carries the name of the founder that they're the best next leader. You're right. It, you can't do that. There's so many things that became clear to us were just generalized mistakes that people weren't calling out and saying, don't do this. Mm-hmm. So a whole lot of our book, which is a little bit of a snarky book, <laughs> we tell real stories. We use real dialogue from what's happened with our clients. And what we know is if you can't even take the criticism from your own employees who are non-family members, then you can't deal with the marketplace. Yeah, You're going to be left behind. It's fascinating because every other company that's going to make it would would naturally do that. They'd naturally – well, not naturally, but they'd be thinking, yeah, I need a board. I need I need outside experts that can come in. I need to be dynamic and fluid and um, I need to respect everyone's opinion. But boy, when that opinion is from Aunt Judy – <laughs> You're thinking, oh, what does Aunt Judy know? <laughs> well, we had an interesting situation. Client who is very, very large. This is a multinational company founded by a family member uh, two generations ago. This current generation is leading. Just sort of said to their kids, "You don't even have to go to college. Just get in the business." Mm. Well, wrong. First of all, we don't believe any family member should come into the business before they've worked somewhere else. That's great. they got to get a feel for how good are they really? What are they good at? They can't just be promised a job. Right. Well, this CEO who inherited the business from his dad brought a son in, and I'll characterize his son as one of the worst jerks you've ever met. Really? Arrogant, um, pompous. 
he's not stupid, but he acts that way because he's never had to even imagine he would work hard. So they're sitting in my office whining about how the son isn't getting respect and the father is demanding that his son get respect and the son is complaining, but dad, you're not telling them how good I am. Mm. <laughs> I just turned and looked at the son. Okay, tell me how good you are. Mm-hmm. And there was silence. And then he started this, this well, you know, I, I've known the business, I've grown up. And I said, no, tell me how good you are at doing what? Yeah, tell me what you're doing that's so good. Yeah. This young man who's in his late 20s was stymied by that simple question. And I said, you know what, if you can't stand up and tell me what you're good at, why you're good at it, give me examples of it, then you need to go out and get a job. And you need to figure that out before you come back into the business. I love that. I love it. I mean, again, it's not, you know, the golden spoon. You're not going to be handed the spoon. You're going to have to earn it. And show me you earn it. Man, Kathy, good stuff. Let's take a break and come back, continue discussing business is business, reality checks for family-owned companies. Kathy Colby, the author and uh, co-author of the book, is joining us. We're going to figure out more. What what do we need to do in order to make a second, third, fourth generation business uh, work? Powerful stuff. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Townsend Show. Today we're talking about uh, your family-run business, how to make sure your family-run business can make it uh, from generation to generation. How do you hand it down in a way that it really will stick, that it has a chance of working? Kathy Colby is joining us. She is uh, the author, co-author of the book, Business is Business, Reality Checks for Family-Owned Companies. You can find out more about what they do at colby.com, K-O-L-B-E.com. Kathy, again, thank you for being with us. You're so welcome. I uh, love family-owned businesses. I grew up with parents, grandparents, and myself. Now my daughter, a third generation. They're they're all we're good at starting these businesses, but there is it's really complicated to hand them down. Talk to us about um, what are some what are some rules, some other rules that we need to be paying attention to. Um, I know one thing you introduce in your book is Colby's theory of conation. What is conation? Yeah, yeah, that is one of the very basic rules of working in a family business and actually any business, and that is put the right person in the right place. Don't just say, "Oh, he's the oldest son or she's the baby of the family, and here's where they fit by birth order." What we need to do is understand the instinctive nature of every single person in the business, especially our family, because you don't want to mess up and put them in the wrong role and watch them fail. That's so true. I've used my work a lot at BYU. In fact, BYU faculty and students help me validate my work. Oh, good. And that work is... The Colby theory of conation. Conation is the word for our instinctive actions, our the things we do willfully. So purposeful action is conative action. These 
come in four modes. So there's a fact finder mode of how we gather information, follow through with how we store and sort it. Quick start is how we deal with uncertainty and implementer is how we deal with the physical, tangible things around us. So I discovered... Oh, Kathy, are you there? ...and how to assess them in human beings, and then give reports with the Colby Index. And again, that's K-O-L-B-E. The Colby Index measures what you're good at, what your natural God-given strengths are. When we can have vocabulary for that, examples for that, and a way to communicate who we are, then it's not like that young man I told you about who couldn't describe his strength. Right. When we're good at describing what we do, when we're good at saying, no, I don't, that's not a, a role that would work for me. When we can be honest with each other about, we don't have a job for you now because your cognitive abilities, your instinctive strengths, don't fit anything we have open now, but let's look at a couple years from now, or let's let's find ways to build on who you are. Mm. One of the saddest things is when we see husbands and wives work together in the wrong roles, just because of gender stereotypes. Right. There are as many men who are as good at doing the bookkeeping as women. There are as many women who are good at sales as men. So sometimes they get in these role reversals because they they just don't understand that we're equal. There are no gender differences in the instinctive opportunities or ways we work. The other shame is when people who could have worked wonderfully together are afraid to do it because they don't know how. Mm-hmm. So we try to solve both those problems. Well, and it sounds like if all of a sudden I know – I'm in my role because I'm good at it and I've, I have a level of expertise in it. I've studied it. I'm well-trained. Then this idea of favoritism uh, that others see in, in these family-owned businesses tends to disappear because it's really about competency. Well, you're very insightful. Thank that's, you. That's such, that's such a great thing for you to realize and, and state because, yes, the – objection that non-family members have goes away when we can show that we put the right person, family member or not, in a position for success for themselves and the company. But when you don't, it's an ugly nightmare, right? Like when you just put someone in there because they've got the bloodline, but they don't have a clue, then why would I, how hard am I going to work around you? That's the number one reason family-owned businesses fail is because there's this feeling of entitlement. Not always is that the reason, but sometimes it is. Yeah. But if you are hiring and placing all family and non-family people according to these strengths, and you use the Colby method to do it, then everyone knows there is this common field. There is this notion that we're all here because of what we can contribute. Boy, love that. And that that again, that's just assessment, right? That's understanding how everybody works, how they think, and then getting them in the right places. What other advice do you give to keep – to do the transition? I mean, 
I mean, because it seems like there's a lot of insurance issues. There's a lot of financial issues. We've got to somehow the younger generation might have to buy. Do we buy the older generation out? Do we just support their lifestyle? Do we keep them on the board? Any other advice you give in the actual transitioning? We do a whole chapter, which we call Graceful Exit. Um, How does the founder leave? Founders are the biggest problem to most family-owned businesses. We work with a company out of Texas. Uh, You would know the name of a company, a very well-known business. The 94-year-old founder goes to the office every day, has the big window office. Everybody has to meet with him every morning. (laughs) But he's hard of hearing. His judgment is no longer uh, suited to the role of decision-maker. So a whole lot of time and money is spent on something that is not even really respectful. Right. Because it's not respecting who he is, it's pretending. And he knows it and everybody else knows it. We turned that around with him. We Well, my own example, my kids, uh, two of them in the business, and my husband in the business came to me um, several years ago and said, Kathy, we know, and again, we use our first names at work, Kathy, we know that you are tired of this. You've been working in this business over 30 years. We know you have so many things you want to be doing. We want to help you do whatever it is you want to do. Would you like to take a sabbatical? We will run the business if it's for a couple months, if it's for a year, go and do what you want. And I said, okay, Hmm. yes, there's some things I'd like to go do. So I said, "Um, how soon are you going to give me the sabbatical? And they said, whatever you want. I said, I want to start next week. Oh, wow. Well, after two weeks of of just being free of making the day-to-day management decisions and saying, okay, I'm going to have the fun of doing some things I've been wanting to do, I decided I was not going back. Hmm. I was the founder. It was time for me to go. And they didn't do this to set me up that way. Yeah, They had been very genuine in what they suggested. But I went back to them and said, you know what? I'm not coming back. I realized you can run the business and I can be doing things and all of it around the same mission, the same purpose. But I wanted to write books, and I wanted to create products. I've created a whole product around career identification that wouldn't exist if I were still managing the business. So I made the decision to just let go and have them take over. And it was quite an orderly transition because I had been planning for the day I wouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, probably from the day I started the business. Well, you also probably were showing signs of fatigue, exhaustion. I mean, you can't, you cannot not communicate, right? So when, even subconsciously when you're done, they're picking up on that. And how attuned are they to say, create some space, go figure out what you're feeling. And now now here's my question though, financially, because a lot of businesses are running so tight that they got to figure out do we how do we pay you out how do we keep paying a salary how do we do this in a in a tighter run ship do you have any advice in would it be better to just sell the business to the next generation then they have the financial responsibility is it better to just 
you know, take those, care of yeah. the, the founder. financial issues are so tied to this specific company that I wouldn't want to generalize, but I'll say this. If you're always open with one another on the financial side, so the family members, the people who are in the business, who are family, who are at the level of knowledge and expertise that they understand money, they should be in all of your financial decision-making meetings. So in my case, my kids and my husband all knew, they knew yeah. very well just all of the financial implications. The The odd thing is, in our case, that I went out and started another business, and I'm making money there. And <laughs> And since our purposes and our mission are the same, my mission ties to theirs, and we're two sister companies, and now I'm doing things I love. That's great. Not meddling with what they do, right. but enhancing it. That's so great. some of the products I create in my new business, they're now selling. It's kind of fun. Oh, yeah. Well, and again, boy, it keeps you young again, right? Now you're out creating instead of just driving the driving the deal to the way you've always been doing it. As we wrap it up, we've only got about 30 more seconds. I'd love to know, Kathy, what would you say is the one thing? Of all the things we've learned, what's the one thing that makes the biggest difference in making in in you know family-owned businesses being able to last multi-generations? Total respect for keeping business is business and family is family and I believe knowing that family always will come first. That's great. Great stuff. Great insight. Kathy, thank you so much for your time and your work. Everybody go to the website, colby.com, K-O-L-B-E.com, colby.com, and uh, go look up the book, Business is Business, Reality Checks for Family-Owned Companies. If you got a family-owned company, you know how rich that conversation was with Kathy because it's hard. It is hard to keep it alive and respect What better way to start than just respecting your roles and knowing that families are forever? We'll take a break, my friends. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Dating can be difficult, can't it? And we've all had those moments where we're sitting across from a date wondering how our social circles got to be so strange, or those moments where you can feel the dreams of a stable, semi-normal relationship slipping through your fingertips. Today, one of our producers, Leanna Tan, will remind us just how peop- how uh, rough dating can be by giving us a collection of her bad date stories. I love the way you smile. I love how much you care. All right, it's coming down to the wire. Only four more days till the big V-Day. I'm assuming there are probably still a lot of you out there who are struggling to find that special someone to celebrate with. But don't worry, you're not the only one out there with a dysfunctional love life. So just to cheer you all up, and actually in part for my own entertainment purposes, I went around and collected a bunch of bad date stories. Here you go. Some girl tried to kiss me after eating chips and salsa. I went and got a drink, and he made me laugh super hard, and I spit what I had in my mouth all over him. I jumped off a bridge on a date. I ended up jumping off the bridge. I did a backflip. I ended up hitting the water and breaking all of the blood vessels in my left leg from ankle all the way up to the top of my thigh. We were parked in a place that apparently was illegal. I didn't even speak the language, and six foreign police rolled up and turned on their sirens, and I seriously thought that I was going to 
get deported. We're playing a card game and I sat and played with all of his friends and he went back in the back room and played the guitar. Left me with his friends. I just awkwardly excused myself to the bathroom and came back out and said, um, can you tell your friend I need to go home? That was it. Haven't talked to him since. Junior prom, cheerleader. We went out, it was fun, got to the dance. At one point in the dance, she ditched me. Turned around, she was gone, and she was dancing with another guy. I'm like, well, guess I'll just wait to take her home now. I'm a klutz. I went on a date to a bounce house, and I decided that I'm just going to be adventurous, so I tried to do a backflip. I end up with my face all the way down in the foam pit, my legs sticking straight up in the air, flailing. I couldn't move. I was caught. I was stuck. Like, there was literally no way to get out. As I can hear him and his friends laughing, he didn't even come to help me. This girl didn't understand that you don't bite the bottom lip every single time you go in to kiss. So I ended up with a bruised lip. I had a crush on a couple different boys and wanted to give them both Valentines. So I made Oreo truffles and I drove down and gave the Oreo truffles to one boy and then I went straight to see the other boy and I dropped off Valentine's truffles but I only kissed one of them and then several years later both of them were chatting about how they received the same gift. <laughs> I ended up getting food poisoning, and so as I'm dropping her off for the night, and I go and walk her to the door, and as I'm walking back to my car, my stomach just sank, and just, it all came out. I didn't know what to do. It was like two in the morning. I didn't want to make a ruckus or anything, so I ended up going home and then coming back the next morning, like eight in the morning, and I went and got the hose and just washed it all off. There was this girl that I wasn't particularly attracted to her. First mistake. I thought, you know what? She likes me. I think I'm going to take her out. I get to the performing arts center and there she is puffed up completely done out in her prom dress and I think to myself what have I done and she says you're not going to tell me that I'm pretty and I'm thinking oops second mistake in the middle of the day I was like I hate this girl and so I leaned to the other side of the chair away from her and I fell asleep and I wake up to this sharp jab in my ribs and she says shut up you're snoring so by this time, this is like my fourth or fifth mistake of the day. I don't know. But at this point, I'm thinking, there's no future with us. I'm trying to make eye contact with you, but I can't do it anymore. After what seemed like like three days in purgatory, I took her out to get ice cream. So that's like six mistakes, seven mistakes. I don't know where we at. And we didn't say a word for like half an hour. No eye contact, no conversation was made. After ice cream, I said, all right, you have a good day. And I didn't walk her home. I just <laughs> I let her walk home alone. See? Don't you feel better about your own love life now? You're welcome. Or, I guess, sorry if that resurfaced any traumatic experiences. But at least you know you're not alone. I love the way you smile. I love how much you care. Just remember, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, look at Food Poisoning Guy. That poor girl still married him. Now that's true love. Proof says there's still hope. So, good luck out there, everyone. And please, avoid any bridges, puffy prom dresses, or really nice restaurants. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. We have got a great hour left here. This is the last hour of the week for us. And then you know what it is. It's nap time, as we discussed in the first hour of the show. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Yes. Finally. Finally. We all just climb under our desks and we join the nap club. Everybody needs to be a member of the nap club. We um, will be talking movies today because it's the weekend. And uh, we're going to have uh, Jeff Simpson doing an in-depth report with Rod Gustafson. The man. The man, the myth, the legend on the Lego Batman movie. I, um, it's a cinematic classic. I'm delegating that one. I, I actually like the Lego movies. I think they're great. There's been one. They're the one. That's it. Don't love them. My kids are too old for them. And it would be hard to. How are they? To, I'm the one that's excited for this. My point exactly. My, I have tickets tomorrow. Never too old. Some my people, son is geeked out of his mind, yeah. and I'm right with him. Yeah. Some. I have a life. Uh, I read adult books, healthy books about engaging relationships and marriage. I read stuff about spies and explosions, so it's different. See, that's the difference. Different and so, approach, different, different, different way of different going about Different for yeah. different folks. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So. Jeff's going to cover that one. <laughs> you ever played the Lego Batman video games? No. Oh, no those those are, are the best. Real fun. You should play them. Also the Star Wars one. Star Wars are good too. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why don't we just hmm? – you guys, why don't you come to my date night if you really want to be entertained? Nah. Come I'm busy. on. I'm are we going to go see Lego Batman on your date night? Um, no. E- no. No, I am the date night. I We're not going to go watch a cartoon. Keep everybody go buy Legos. Excuse me. It's an animated feature. Thank you. Like I said, no cartoons to buy Legos. They're, they're different. It's not a cartoon. Really? It's they are. It's a great – it'll be – I'm sure it's a fantastic show yeah. uh, to merchandise and get our children buying merchandise. He already has And it. to tell jokes that only adults will understand. No, no. They have jokes the kids like to. It's one of those movies with the several layers of Is this humor. why you love it so much? Because like you totally you're, – well, you're enthralled. They're going to have – This is exciting. Pretty much they, they feel every Batman villain ever. Really? In yes. In one movie? There's a scene I watched. There's a, a preview clip. It's like three minutes long. It has 50 villains in it. But you know what that means? That means Legos can now sell every one of those I've kits. already seen them. They're on the market. Yes. Oh. I, I thought you were going to say I've already bought them. No, 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 no. I have a wife, so you can't really yeah, do she's, that. She she's monitors the brakes on the, the operation. On Why did you buy all these Legos? Uh Honey, are you kidding me? So we'll get to that great interview. Plus, Jeff and I are going to talk about – and Terry, I'm sure, will want to jump in on this as well – the um, the Oscars. And huh? Jeff's going to actually do a review. Not the Grammys? No. The Oscars. But he's going to do a review of Oscars So White. Oh. Because last year there was this big – there was this big uh, – hullabaloo about how the African-Americans in the academy aren't being respected. They're not winning awards. And so it's time. And we're going to – Jeff's been doing the numbers. And it's pretty enlightening. Big time. Stick with us. We'll get to that fun. Plus visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. See how they're recovering from the Pepperdine squash last night. And uh, Terrible. uh, they lost? They, they lost. did. The oh, men's wow. team lost. Do you remember how many – and we talked yesterday about how hard it is for BYU to win Weren't at Weren't they supposed to like really sort of – it was supposed to be Gonzaga and then they kind of dominate this kind of league? Pepperdine's not a good team. They, Greg Rebell was talking about it last night and he was like, BYU's losing to not good basketball right now. Well, I think what it is is it's the pepper spray from Pepperdine. It's all those waves. You've always got to watch out for the pepper spray. 
You know, people think tasers are the bad thing. No, pepper spray. It'll get you every time. So we'll talk to them. Also do a little hero story, plus update you uh, on one man. you got to be careful. If you have an ingrown hair, pay attention to it. I've never... I've never had an ingrown hair that I know of, but you got to pay attention to it because if it gets away from you, you don't get them when you shave. No, that happens to me all the time. Really? Yeah, it's, it's annoying. Well, yeah, but so then this is for you. You pay attention, young man, because I do. If you don't, it could turn into a hundred and forty pound tumor. Well, that's different. Well, is it? It's not a tumor. This was a tumor. This was horrible. <laughs> We'll get to all that fun. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit upheld the ruling of U.S. District Judge James Robart on Thursday, determining that the freeze on President Trump's immigration order will be maintained. This means that for now, previously barred refugees and citizens from countries that fell under the ban will be allowed to flow freely into the country, bringing all their terrorist ideals and... Motivations. Wait, no, wait. Hold on. Bring in their terrorist (laughs) ideals. We we don't want that. Now what? There's no proof. Now the border. People are just going to pour across the border. They're just open. There's no one. There's no laws. There's no regulations. None of that even stands anymore. I mean, people. As long as they leave it at the door. Yeah, they just leave it at the door, but they don't. They They can just drive over from Syria. So now the Justice Department could now ask that the Supreme Court intervene on the matter. However, at the moment, the Supreme Court is a justice short. Which could result in a tie, meaning the ruling of the lower court would be maintained. Within an hour of the ruling, Trump responded with an all-caps tweet, See you in court. The security of our nation is at stake. Oh, boy. And then people were questioning um, his use of a comma. It's all, see you in court, comma, the security of our nation is at stake. People are like, those are two independent sentences. Yeah. You need a period right there. Once they're critiquing his, that's why you shouldn't be texting. Says who? Whenever he tweets, someone, I, there's this other account I think popped up the other day where they're now like proofreading. They're yeah. Like, ah, proofreading the president. This. Uh, president Trump indicated to senators Thursday he might be open to considering the Gang of Eight immigration in, uh, reform bill. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia said the bill unveiled in 2013 by an eight-member bipartisan group of senators would have created a path for undocumented immigrants to gain legal citizenship in the U.S. Mm. Though the legislation passed through the Senate, it died after stalling in the House. Trump's primary opposition to the bill is that it seemed to offer amnesty through, though Manchin apparently tried to convince Trump on Thursday that the Gang of Eight bill did not sound like amnesty to him. Trump reportedly said that he knew what amnesty was. I I know what it is. But that he would take a look at the bill. I know what it is. (laughs) I don't know if that's exactly the way he said it, but I thought it was Don't make me spell it. Worded funny. Uh, Trump is reportedly finding it difficult to transition from running a business to running the United States of America, drawing on interviews with almost two dozen people in Trump's orbit, sources say. Mm. Fake news. The president is describing it as both frustrating and surprised by the way government works, be it the limits to his power or the leaks and infighting that come with the with heading to the White House. Trump often asks simple questions about policies, proposals, and personnel. And when the discussion gets bogged down in detail, the president has been known to quickly change the subject to seem in control at times. Once one government senior government official, unnamed, says, "You're wrong." The direct question about details to his chief strategist, Steve Bannon, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, or House Speaker Paul Ryan Trump has privately expressed disbelief over the ability of judges, bureaucrats, or lawmakers to delay or even stop him from filling positions and implementing policies. 
I thought I was the king. Trump administration also is also considering limiting aides who have access to phone calls and transcripts <laughs> and is investigating staffers in order to try to root out leakers. Wow. Leakers. They're bad. You don't, you want, know, to, you don't want a leaky ship. No. So, <clears throat> my finally, do you want a Dorito story or do you want NBA teams buying video game teams? Well, can't we do both? You could. Let's do both. Okay, so... A food scientist explains why Doritos are the perfect snack. Okay. He says there's an intoxicating flavor. Mm. The red powder is high in salt and sugar, two major pleasure salutes, mm. and loaded with flavor boosters like MSG, uh, disodium, insonate, and a bunch of stuff that's probably going to kill you. Not to mention garlic, Romano cheese, cheddar cheese, and more. Right? Yeah. Mouthwatering magic. The powder also contains acids. That trigger the release of saliva. So the second you put them in, your mouth starts wanting more, right? Mouth-watering magic. High dynamic contrast. Your brain is excited by the sensation of biting into a hard substance that quickly dissolves into a mass of nothingness. So true. The perfect ratio of fat. Your brain likes the fat, and 12 mega, uh, milligrams per serving is a good start. Your brain also likes it when half of the calories come from fat. Really? Yeah. My brain knows so this? So Dorito nails it with a 70 to... 140. I don't know what the ratio they're they're pointing to, but apparently whatever the ratio is, it's the perfect ratio to trigger your body to enjoy the fat. It's a perfect fat ratio. Uh, Kukovor compounds. Pardon? C o o k i v o r e. Come again? Yeah. So it says it has been theorized that humans evolved to crave compounds found in cooked food. Ah. If so, then Doritos with corn that is toasted and then fried in oil is just what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. The cheese effect. It's delicious. When digested, it also releases a compound that slows digestion. There you go. Uh, low hang time, flavors like garlic and onions and cheese spread fast, particularly when they're found in fat calories, especially when mixed with saliva, warmed up in the mouth. This condition your brain is, to, uh, is your, it conditions your brain to crave the food and can incite cravings in anyone in the room because they can smell it. Yeah. That's why my wife thinks that all Doritos smell like Cool Ranch, which I told her isn't always a bad no, thing. No. Um, je ne sais quoi. Pardon? A complex mix of flavors known as the nonspecific aroma qualities keeps your brain from getting bored. It's got that certain something. Hold on. This is all in one Dorito? This is a Dorito. It's got that I don't know. Finger looking good. The stuff on your fingers is five to six times more concentrated than the stuff on the chip. <laughs> How much are these Doritos? There's science behind this. And there's, is there too much flavor? Rumor has it back in the 90s, Frito-Lay reduced the amount of garlic powder in the chip because people were complaining about Dorito breath. Flea... And this says Dorito breath is still a problem. Oh, yeah. Wow. So what do you think? This is all in one Dorito. It's science. I love it. Plus, it's mouth-watering magic. It'll kill you, but science. Mouth-watering That's why I eat them once a year. No, you don't. The whole bag. I never get a bag, except for the Super Bowl. And then that bag, like, lasts two weeks after the Super Bowl. Because I don't eat the whole thing for the Super Bowl. You save it. You save it. No, I I just take about... Five or six chips. They don't go stale. You just, you, you got to you know, close the bag. Take thought, care. Hold on. Everything click? that that was saying right there is that you really shouldn't be able to just take five or six chips. I do, though. Willpower. See, that just you just debunked your own story. My superpower is willpower. Your Lego story? Your Terry? Lego power? Yeah. Terry South. Yeah. Okay. Your right. power. Okay. NBA 2K is a video game. Yeah. Is it like Lego life-like. video game? No, no, no. This, they look realistic, lifelike. You actually play basketball. Yeah. People can My pull kids off play the moves. It. 
Um, Take Two, which owns the uh, the company that makes that video game, says that it won't uh, require competitors to travel since they're setting up a, a league to play this game. So oh, really? We've had people on competitive video games. So these guys actually play each other. They play World of Warcraft. They do that. Now they're making teams that will be a specific NBA team, and you will play other teams and have your own sort of virtual NBA. How awesome is that? Well, the, the expect to see a heavy dose of promotion from esports matchups during the regular NBA broadcast. As NBA Commissioner Adam Silver also told the Wall Street Journal that coverage should include both online and TV broadcast. He also explains to the Associated Press why the league is giving this a try. There are going to be an opportunity for its first-of-a-kind league to attract groups of gamers who might be playing some other game. Now they can say, maybe I could play for the Knicks. Because I didn't have the physical prowess to compete, complete, uh, compete at that level, but I do have the mental and physical prowess to compete as an e-gamer so for the So the Knicks. teams are going to buy the teams. Individual NBA teams to purchase eSports teams. And then really sponsor their gamers. And then the best gamers will move up in the league. Oh, <gasps> This is exciting. So it's it's they're 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 making the first ever competitive league of its kind owned by professional sporting franchises. That is so interesting. And Dad said video games would yeah. get you nowhere. It probably won't. Uh, many Dad, I play for the Knicks. Yeah, <laughs> I just signed a contract with the Knicks, Dad. And I just got a Dorito sponsor. I'm going to practice. I'm going to room. That is pretty neat. Yeah. Okay, we got to talk to Sports Nation about that. Because is that real sports? Yeah. I don't know. It seems like it to me. People take it on that level of competition. Mm-hmm. They get very aggressive. Yeah. They want to push people around. There's Maybe money to be made. Fights you could go are to, had. You could even go to college and play play for like UCLA. Well, no, not yet. Well, but soon if the pros are doing it, then all of a sudden you go to college, you pay for UCLA's basketball team online. Right. So it'll be called the NBA 2KE League. Yeah, that's got a perfect ring to it. Yeah, they may need to work on the name. Rolls right off the tongue. The NBA 2KE League. League. But the whole concept is the NBA teams have this association with kind of like they they all have uh, developmental league teams. Yeah. Kind of minor leagues. Well, this would be the video game league. This is great. This Except what, what happens if you're like the Washington Wizards or the Charlotte Hornets? Or something? Ah, then you're just an embarrassment. Or sometimes. you're the Pelicans, and you have one guy with a unibrow, but he's like the best player on the team, and <laughs> everyone else is pathetic. But like what? A, but a gamer, an e-gamer, could have a unibrow too and be pathetic. Maybe they. But you maybe, wouldn't know. You wouldn't know because he's an e-gamer. No, but the e-gamers are going to become famous too. Uh, let's see. In the e-gaming world, where by the way, the unibrow is seen as a serious advantage. Because it takes a little light off of the screen. Right. Okay. It's a dimming factor. Nice. Yeah. In fact, it's mouth-watering magic. That's my new phrase today. (laughs) Mouth-watering magic. We will take a break. When we come back, our very own Jeffrey Simpson will be uh, talking to Rod Gustafson about a couple movies, Lego Batman movie, and if they can get around to it, rings. But I'm sure they're going to want to spend more time on the Lego Batman movie. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you into the weekend. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who uh, does not plan on seeing the Lego Batman movie this weekend or possibly ever. 
But uh, we've got Rod Gustafson here from ParentPreviews.com. Rod uh, is our go-to guy for helping us make informed decisions as parents when it comes to uh, what we show our kids, whether it's TV or movies. And in this case, it's the Lego Batman movie. Rod, welcome to the program. Hey, hi, Jeff. I I really like the uh, the opening theme music there. I felt like it was at one of those swanky Hollywood parties for a moment. Hey, that is that is your new theme. I wow, found it swanky just for you. Hollywood music theme. I like it. <laughs> yes. Well, welcome to the program. We uh, we're so excited to talk to you about the Lego Batman movie. I think Terry is probably more excited than anybody in this <laughs> building to see this movie. He's already got tickets. Well, I, I think that this movie will do very well this weekend, uh, especially as seeing as, you know, it's really the only thing you can take the kids to. Uh, everything else is pretty dark, violent, and, uh, well, yeah, Fifty Shades darker and violent. There you go. So this is the choice for families this weekend, absolutely, positively. And it is fun. It's a very fun movie. Did you see, Jeff, I'm sure you saw the Lego movie, which I can't believe that's three years ago already. You saw that, though, right? It's kind of a sensitive subject with me because I am of the opinion that not only should that movie have been nominated for Best Animated Feature, but it should have yes. won. Absolutely. The biggest Oscar snub in recent history for me as well. I couldn't believe that it didn't get nominated. I thought that movie was pure genius, had a really witty commentary on media and popular culture, and I I really enjoyed it. So this one picks up in the same vein, but this one, the focus, of course, is Batman because this is the Lego Batman movie. And one of the things I really appreciate about this now, just to fill people in who are as green with comic books as I am, there's really two big comic franchises. There's Marvel, the big Marvel Comics Company, and most of their movies now come through Disney. And then you have DC Comics, and DC Comics is where Batman and Superman and a lot of other characters live. And I I haven't ever really read the comics, so I can only go by the movies. But the Marvel guys are kind of tongue-in-cheek. They've got some humor. They don't take themselves too seriously. But the DC guys, like Batman, takes himself seriously. When you watch those movies, like, he is Batman. And there's, you know, no joking around. What I really love about the Lego movie is, boy, oh, boy, do they rip apart Batman. And there's a lot of cynical humor and just a lot of... um a really good uh, cultural commentary and that type of thing about this character in this movie. You know, what I appreciate uh, appreciate about these movies is that I I can't think of another comedy I've enjoyed as much as the Lego movie when it came out a few years ago. And I, it's it's funny because on the surface and people like Dr. Matt certainly think this way. Uh, it just it appears to be a kids' movie, when in actuality the jokes are coming at you so fast, and many of them are going to go over the heads of kids that it's it's really just a smart comedy in general. In, in yes. aside from just a kids' movie, you know. Yes, absolutely. And and the Lego Batman movie probably takes that up one more notch um, because a lot of the comedy in this movie is generated 
from poking fun at Batman over the last four and five decades. Oh, that's going to be fun. I guess <laughs> even further than that, really, if I'm doing my math right. And uh, and just how serious he is, how narcissistic he is. And so there are some good lessons about this. And I, I should give you a little bit of a setup here. Basically, what happens is Batman is taking care of Gotham City, and he has the attitude that nobody else is as tough as he is. Nobody else can take care of Gotham City better than he can. Nobody else can come up with a singular good idea other than him. And so he is just very much in control of who Batman is and who Gotham City is and everything else. Well, all of that is challenged when the police commissioner, I think Jim Gordon's been the police commissioner forever at Gotham, he retires and his daughter takes over. And first of all, the moment Batman looks upon his daughter, he's in love, which takes him off his rails for a moment. And then the other thing, though, that happens is his daughter, um, Commissioner Gordon, the new Commissioner Gordon, uh, she is a very pragmatic person. And she makes a big speech that basically says we can no longer have this adult male beating people up in a Halloween costume, who wears a Halloween costume, beating people up and taking care of law in our city. He has to be accountable and he needs to work with the police. And so, which of course is a very real world. This is what we would say if this was reality. So that's the strange thing about the Lego Batman movie is that of course it's all absolute pixelated fantasy and yet it's very much more grounded in reality in some ways than what Batman is in the the live action Batman movies. And so there's a lot of comedy that comes from that. But there are a lot of very powerful messages in this movie that um, are about teamwork, the need of working together, the dangers of narcissism, which I think is a huge deal today. And um and all of that is wrapped up in this quite quite well. Now, I say quite well because parents are warning on this. There is a lot of violence in this movie, but it's all Lego violence. So this is certainly not explicit violence, but it's it's very frenetic, you know, editing and fast paced, like to the point where your eyes almost get tired watching it. And I felt like they went a little bit overboard with that. And for some of the younger kids in our screening audience, um, they were a little bit scared and, and just kind of tense and wound up about the whole thing and not really having a good time. I think the 10 and over crowd will really enjoy this, but be careful with some of the younger ones. Um, otherwise, though, there, this is it's a, it's a very fun movie that comes together quite well. So, Rod, you and I obviously mentioned that we're huge fans of the Lego movie. For people who haven't seen the Lego movie, are they going to be lost going to see the Lego Batman movie? They might be surprised because it really, um, when I saw the Lego movie, I really did not know what to expect. I mean, you get a lot of these uh, toy franchise films that get turned into movies. And frankly, most of them are just like painful to get through. Uh, although I must admit Trolls, which released on home video this week, uh, that was a pleasant surprise too. I just had to work that in so that people know there's a home video choice too. But the uh, So when I saw the Lego movie, I was really, not, my expectations were very low and it was so, soared way above expectations. So yeah, I would say, you know, start with the Lego movie. First of all, first of all, if you've got little kids, the Lego movie is a better choice. Um, even it, though, 
these movies are deceptively sophisticated, I guess, is what I'm really trying to work in here, um, because you may come to them really expecting that this is going to be a, a movie just for kids. And in some ways, uh, each of these films and probably the Lego Batman movie, even a little bit more, is a film for adults as much as it's a film for children. Well, Rod, thanks for the uh, thanks for the trolls plug. I purchased that. I pre-ordered that movie for my daughter for her birthday, <laughs> so we're big so fans Jeff, of that movie as well. Jeff, were you surprised at that movie? I went in there. Okay, I I I, I had Smurf bias. I don't like the Smurfs, and I find their movies to be quite painful. But I, the trolls really impressed me. I don't know. You must have felt the same way if you're buying it for your daughter. I was determined not to take my daughters to see it because there's a <laughs> you know there's a scene where one of the trolls gets scared and poops out some cupcakes, yes, and at yes. that moment I said, forget it. Not going to see yep. it, and then we went to go see it. And I, the, for me, the music makes that movie. The soundtrack to that movie is just so much fun that it's impossible to not sit through that movie and you know start to move your feet at least, tap your feet to the beat. Um, but yeah, very Justin, surprised. Ju- Justin Timberlake did such an incredible job of the score and the soundtrack. I, if, if I remember correctly, he was involved with a lot of of getting the music put together in that film. And now he's got an Oscar nomination for uh, "Can't Stop the Feeling." Yes, yes, and uh, and just what a, it's just a fun little happy movie, and uh, and and again has some great messages about teamwork. It in the Batman movie is something very much in common in that regard. Uh, both movies feature a character who kind of just wants to be left alone and do his own thing, and uh, and both movies have a strong message about the need of all different types of people working together to get the job done. So, Rod, we've got a couple of minutes left here. Do we even need to talk about the movie Rings? <laughs> <laughs> Not too much. Do you remember that old, old, I know I'm sounding old, but from near the turn of the century, the the uh, the ring, I think, was what the first one was called. I always forget all of the, the – this is the third one that's come in that franchise. And there's been this kind of need lately to revive these franchises that are – that are a decade old, and um, this one I had a. I remember because this is the the setup where people watch this VHS cassette. If you don't know what that is, Google it. And <laughs> after they watch this little movie on this VHS tape, then their phone rings, and then a mysterious voice says something about "You have seven days," and then they're going good. to die. That was good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and the only way out of it is it's like a bad multi-marketing, a multi-level marketing uh, situation. You've got to get somebody else to watch the tape, and then you're off the hook, and then they're going to die, and it passes on. So I, what I was really wondering in this film was who still has a VHS player? And so in the opening scene, the guy, this one guy buys one at a garage sale. <laughs> it comes and he ta- brings it home and there's a tape inside of it. and He pushes play and guess what? It's on again. But I was hoping, I thought, well, this has got to be the last one. VHS is dead. No, what does he do? He digitizes the movie so that he can, he, he can virally pass it on now on the Internet. So... I think they're hoping for more and more rings. So, and I didn't even check the box office on this. Did you, Jeff? I I don't know that it did that well. No, I don't believe that it yeah. did. And you know, to tell you the truth, Rod, I've seen several movies that I wish I would die 
while watching them. <laughs> they were that painful yes. to watch. So it sounds like this is one of them. You know, I, yeah, I remember one, it is. I remember when that first movie, The Ring, came out, which itself was a remake of, I think it was a Japanese or a Chinese film. Yes. But uh, I went in with no expectations, didn't know anything about it. The theater was packed. It was one of those rare movies that makes more and more money as it, uh, as it goes along each week. And I was blown away and uh, quite uh, freaked out by it. Yes, yeah, and um, and from what I understand, that one actually works quite a bit better and has quite a cult following, and I think they were hoping that this English franchise, American franchise, would pick up on that, but this last one is particularly tedious, and oh, just buy the books, and you know, it has some content issues in here that, that parents probably aren't going to be very happy about, and frankly, just a poorly made movie as well. All right, so we'll skip that one. Rod, uh, in closing here, you mentioned that you wanted to give a quick plug for your new podcast. So tell us about Finally. that. Yes, we've been working on this for way too long, and we've launched it this week. And, you know, a podcast is a lot like opening weekends of movies, um, especially to get yourself ranked highly on iTunes, which is the which is the center of all podcasting. And so, yeah, take a head on over to uh, if you have Apple devices or iTunes on your computer, head on over and search for the Parent Previews podcast. And, yeah, audience, we'd love it if you take a listen and subscribe. And, of course, you can get it on Google Play Music and all the other podcast outlets as well. But uh, this is kind of our critical couple of launch weeks. So uh, so thank you for letting me bring that up, Jeff. I Absolutely. appreciate it. Absolutely. I'll be listening. I'll download it today. Rod Gustafson, thank you so much for joining us once again. We always appreciate your input. And uh, we'll go and see the Lego Batman movie. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. When we come back... Dr. Matt and I are going to be talking about the Oscars So White controversy and get a little deeper into the numbers involved there and what it really means and maybe some other uh, issues that we should be bringing up in this discussion when we return. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, the Matt Townsend Show, joined by Jeffrey Simpson. Jeffrey, um, you may not know this, but Jeff loves the movies. Love them. I, I like them to just medicate with. It's funny. But you, you really just, you just eat them. You say you don't really care for movies all that much, or you just kind of like them. You see so many more movies than I do. I know, but I, you, I do it to medicate. I'm just trying to get through my day, my mm. life. But you are using them, and you actually think deeply about it, you've taken on the whole Oscars controversy about is it too white? I mean, only whites are getting the Oscars. You know, that was the big hullabaloo last year. It's a it's a huge topic because they're trying to shed light on the fact that not enough people of color and minority are being offered roles that are important and substantial – which, you know, opens up other discussions yeah. outside of Hollywood. It, are we still, as a country, too racist? Right. So a big deal was made these past two years uh, for the Oscar nominations because not a single person of color was nominated or of a minority was nominated for one of the major acting categories or directing categories. Yeah. Um, but then they went in and they changed the actual makeup of the Academy, I guess? As a result of these past two years. So people's voices are being heard in those regards. Yeah. And actually the, the Academy president, Cheryl Boone Isaacs, 
is African-American. So obviously this is a topic that's very uh, close to her heart as well. Hmm. So they've changed rules. They've changed membership so that uh, they can have more women in the academy and more uh, minority people uh, – minority members in the category as well. In fact, they have a, a goal to double the number of women and the number of minority members by 2020, which a lot of people are saying is going to be very difficult to do because currently it's the percentages of Academy members that are white is very, very high. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. And again, too, this is, I thought we were, I thought this was all about the art. You would think so, right? right? So in fact, the I'm art not, there's a Chris created. Rock clip that we're going to play here in a second. He's He hosted the Oscars last year. So his whole 11-minute monologue was about, you know, black people not being nominated. And he, you know, he tried to make it very lighthearted and very, you know, uh, hard-punching at times too. But one point that he makes is why do we even differentiate between actors and actresses. You want to go ahead and play that clip? Hey, if you want black nominees every year, <laughs> you need to just have black categories. You already do it with men and women. Think about it. There's no real reason for there to be a man in a woman category in acting. It's not track and field. <laughs> you, you don't have to separate them. You know, Robert De Niro's never said, I better slow this acting down so Meryl Streep could catch up. <laughs> It's so true. It's I a mean, great point. Where does it stop? I mean, I, the the main effort in in changing the rules and and it being more inclusive is just for that to be more inclusive yeah. of people that aren't feeling like their voices are being heard. Right. The right? Acad- so, but by increasing the academy or the the numbers so they're representative in the academy, yes. it seems like then you'd be getting then you'd be getting representative uh, awards. Right. And so I wanted to run some numbers because I wanted to see, is this really a problem? Is it representative of of who we have in this country and who's being represented? Mm -hmm. So about 13 percent of of people in America are African-American. Right. Right. And it turns out about 13 percent of movie characters – are African American as what? well? Are they really? Yeah, wow, that's... so that's interesting. Now, the types of roles they have, you know, one yeah, might argue they're not... that they're not substantial mm-hmm. or they don't have very much. Dialogue. Or they're still, yeah, they still might be biased, right? Right, right. And this is in 2014, so that those numbers may have changed a little bit. But um, I also ran some numbers here of all of the uh, awards, Academy Awards that were given out to uh, people of color or African Americans, I should say. Versus how many were given out in total? Total, thirty-five Oscars given to African Americans out of three thousand forty-eight <laughs> yeah. Oscars ever, which is a little over one percent given to African Americans. Yeah. However, since nineteen ninety-one, the total number of uh, non-white nominees was eleven point two percent. Interesting. So it's a little more uh, closer to the numbers but, that we're. But non-white for. nominees would probably be a higher number, right? Because that would be any minority. That would be. Well, yeah, it's going to be so for African Americans. That number is going to be third, lower because yeah. you know you have, yeah. But you also have Hispanics. You have uh, Italians and Indians, big, yeah. Asian Americans. Right. Yeah, yeah, all those Bollywood. Right. So. Um, and in fact, you know, if you look at the numbers, there have been plenty of years where there have been African-American winners. And just 
in 2015, one of the years that was part of the Oscar So White um, controversy. Anyway, it, it brings up a lot of interesting points on on whatever wherever you stand on this. Not only are they changing rules so that they can be more inclusive, but that also means that other people are going to be excluded or even kicked out of the academy because they haven't made a movie a bit a major movie in X number of oh, years. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So at what point do you no longer get to be in the academy if you're not? So then all of a sudden age Right. So because these younger bucks are going to come in and be making more movies, Mm -hmm. Sundance movies. But, you know, if you're an African-American or a minority nominee, do you feel like now, because this year there are seven, seven of the uh, acting nominees are are African-American and there's one Indian in there. um, Do you feel like it's deserved? Do you feel like it's not as much of a nomination? In fact, one of the uh, actors who's Probably the front runner to win for best supporting actor, Mershala Ali said he, that he hopes that it's not because he's black, because oh. that would cheapen yeah, the experience. Yeah, you don't want to question him, that. Right? But some of these movies that are coming out with minority leads are incredible. Like these, oh, there's yeah. some this incredible is a great, movies. Great year for movies yeah. in general. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah, because, you don't want everyone questioning why you won. Yeah. So in, huh. in Hollywood, we want to be inclusive. But what about? Other groups that are being excluded, like I was just thinking about schools, for instance. In schools, you can't even can't even celebrate Christmas anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't even use the word Santa Claus, which is funny because it's not really religious. Yeah. But you just can't do that. So why can't we be as inclusive in other areas of our lives, such as schools? So instead of excluding everybody, why can't we include everybody? Interesting. You know? Yeah, and is. Again, back to the art, because this seems to be like uh, – what's his name's point? Maybe we just need the best actor mm-hmm. and let yeah. it be women or man as men aside or do we have to start categorizing best African-American lead in a right. movie produced by an African-American yeah. director? Blah, 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 blah. And you see it in the workplace yeah. too. You know, There's a certain quota you get. We don't have enough women. We don't have enough people of minorities mm-hmm. when – Shouldn't it just be the best person for oh, the yeah. job gets the job? And then ageism. Oh, we got to go. But ageism too. I mean you got Clint Eastwood that was producing some amazing stuff. I mean Meryl Streep. At some point, they might not even be in the academy if they don't do something yeah. for so many years. And I should say this isn't to say that there is not a problem No, there's, so there's obviously, obviously a, there's problem, a problem. But is it the academy's fault? Right. And how do you fix it? Yeah. By it's, too big of a topic to try to cover in 10 minutes. It's huge. All right. Good job. Thank you, Jeffrey. Let's take a break. We'll come back. And when we when we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, finding out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, folks. Wrapping it up right here for the weekend. Talk about good. BYU Radio. Welcome back, my friends. Let's now take it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation as they prepare and get ready for their big show, which is just about 10 minutes away. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matt. What's up? It's an overreaction Friday, my friend. R.E.M. Friday. Is everyone overreacting about the game? Oh, yeah. Oh, what are they saying? But are they overreactions? Ooh. Yeah. Are they? We're going to. So here's what we're going to do today in the opening segment of the show. 
Because BYU beat Pepperdine by 29 at home, and then they lost by 16 on the road. <laughs> it's hard. Uh, I said last night on Twitter, there's no explanation for that. And someone said, that should be BYU's theme this year. Hashtag, there's no explanation. Mm. And then you fill in the blank. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> We're going to make statements based on tweets from people in connection with the game last night or this morning. And then we're going to discuss whether that's an overreaction or not. Oh, good. For example, for example, uh, this team is getting better. Even our NRT hopes are on life support. The young argument doesn't work anymore at Nick Lee 51. So we'll discuss. Is that okay. an overreaction yeah. or is yeah. that fair? Yeah. Can it be both? Can it no. be an overfair reaction? Overfair. Overly fair reaction. <laughs> it's it's crazy though. But you guys, I think you you I don't know what you did. Yesterday you were talking about Pepperdine as if as if suggesting to the cosmos that there's a great chance BYU will lose it. Do you remember? Because Pepperdine you had could won sense three in it. a row. Right. And now they've won four in a row. I, but I <laughs> You knew I it was coming. Believe, I can't believe BYU lost by one that they lost and two by 16. They yeah. gave up 99 points. Yes, like, that's this crazy. Is, this is, let's compare this to football. Previous season high for Pepperdine, by the way, Matt, was 85. <laughs> okay. It got away from football. him. There was a string where Utah State had BYU's number in football. Okay? Right. Likewise, Pepperdine does in basketball. But the 99 points part, this would be like in Logan, uh, Utah State losing – or BYU losing a game in Logan at Utah State, like 50 to – 28. Mm. You'd be like, what? What? That margin and that many points allowed? Yeah. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. That's so. Like, you, a, like a loss is one thing, losing by 16 is another, and giving up 99. There's a difference in that loss. There's, but again, I think it's something about the court, like maybe the uneven wood that's warped because of the moisture from the ocean. <laughs> maybe there's a dead spot, you know? This isn't the Smithfield. I know. It's it is crazy, and uh, I I did not watch it, but I heard this morning. And it was at nine Mountain Time here locally. Mm, yeah, uh, that's why. Eastern. So the East Coasters had had it even worse. Yeah, I was sleeping. Yeah, the As you should the of course of course. Well, maybe can I just change the subject? That'll maybe make you happier. Sure. Yeah. I mean, just so you have some joy before you go into your show. We like drama. You guys. Um, I mean, I know you love a good holiday. Today is National Flannel Day. Okay. Does that feel better? Jerome. I didn't wear Jerome. I don't I don't actually wear flannel. Yeah, you're I'm not, not into, a lumberjack. You're not into the flannel. I get yeah. it. How about this one? I um like felling things, but not trees. Oh, who doesn't love just taking down a tree yeah. or anything? Uh did you hear about the NBA's two K E League? No. This is really cool news. Apparently the NBA teams are gonna start buying the NBA two two K E League. They're gonna be buying their teams. So the Knicks will buy the Knicks team, oh, nice. and then they'll start staffing a team of of e leaguers to play under the Knicks name and logo. Interesting, huh? Maybe they can get Charles Oakley. Yeah. <laughs> hey, okay, I've only got a minute for that one. But what <laughs> happened to Charles Oakley? Charles Oakley is an NBA jam. He's a great rebounder. He also shoves people effectively. He really does. He got in, <laughs> a, and then they brought out all the muscle. He's the muscle. But wouldn't you love to be able to do that when you're – I mean, Charles is only, what, 50-something? Yeah. But he's out there pushing everyone around. As as Colin Cowherd said, he thinks he's Charles Barkley. He's actually (laughs) Charles Oakley. Yeah. (laughs) Charles, make sure you're focusing on the right Charles. 
Uh, so, yeah, I guess that's what happens when, you know, people start talking smack. You just start wanting to push them around. I mean, I saw you guys that's, doing that's that. That's one way of dealing with it. I saw you pushing some people around the other day. I don't think I've ever initiated the contact outside of an actual sport. Yeah, you didn't start it. You just finish it. In a sport, yeah. I yeah. Is that the line you used? I, I didn't start Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, guys, you're going to have a good show. I can already tell. Anything of course else? we uh, are, Matt. Anything else on the show? You only got about 30 seconds before you got to go. Think, Spencer. Well, it is overreaction Friday, and apparently Matt Townsend doesn't think we're capable of having a good show. <laughs> That's an overreaction. That's an overreaction. That That's a really overreaction. good show. That's a perfect example right there. <laughs> That's just a taste. Just good. a sample. You guys what are you are... saying, Matt, that we should cancel the show? Oh, another huh? overreaction. Huh? There's two. <laughs> wow. Let's do one more just for the just the last 10 seconds we have. BYU's going to win by 40 tomorrow. <laughs> now that's How about BYU an overreaction. Is that an overreaction? <laughs> no. Oh, you guys, it's it's whoa, tense. Whoa. Yeah, it's tense. I get it. All right. Well, just know that we're here for you no matter how the show goes. We love you, and may the force be let's, with you. Let's just hope that Don Shaline is too. Yeah. Well, we'll see after the show, won't we? <laughs> Hashtag save BYUSN. <laughs> Hashtag hopefully Don doesn't have an overreaction. Good luck, gentlemen. Knock Thank him dead. Thank you, sir. Peace out, yo. Yeah. That's the problem. Everyone overreacts in sports. What do you mean? That's why we relax, man. What do you Just mean? Relax. That's why we like doing I'm politics. overreacting. Because on this show, we talk politics, and nobody overreacts in politics. You're right. That's what makes it so, so You're different. Wrong. wrong. Wow. Sorry, Mr. Trump. Not to get in your face. Okay, earlier we talked about the fact that if you have an ingrown hair, Mm. you need to pay attention to it because sometimes they'll get away from you. When Roger Logan started gaining weight in his stomach, doctors told the 57-year-old Mississippi man it was just fat. Not quite, folks. Logan is recovering after traveling across the country to California to have a 140-pound growth removed from his abdomen. Doctors say the benign tumor, which started growing about 12 years ago, probably began as an ingrown hair. But it kept growing until it uh, it was a massive, and then it eventually grew its own blood supply. Incredible. Once your ingrown hair is growing its own own blood supply, you are in a whole other world of hurt. (laughs) Not to make fun here, but um, be careful, folks. the the thing that they weren't sure if they could actually get rid of it because it's you know it's kind of taken on a life of its own so part of them yeah just just watch out for that uh another story here that's um that's pretty crazy a man surprises his girlfriend with super bowl tv ad proposal listen to this what a what a loving fiance the 51st super bowl will be remembered for the new england patriots pulling off the game's biggest comeback ever for their fifth NFL title. A New York woman, however, will remember it as the night she got engaged at halftime. Unknown to Albany area resident Courtney Lynn Myers, her boyfriend had won a local jewelry store uh, contest dubbed Surprise Super Bowl Proposal. Chris Gargillo uh, uh, taped a short video last week at Northeastern Fine Jewelers during which he asked Myers to marry him. The ad aired locally just before the halftime show as the couple watched with friends at home. Gargillo uh, repeated the question in person and said yes. And she, by the way, she said yes, and he placed the engagement ring on her finger as their friends just cheered for joy, and they then ate Doritos. A scientific. What, what was that that you said? Uh, mouth-watering. Mouth-watering magic. magic. 
is another uh, scientific term for Doritos. Yes, mouth-watering magic. As you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. Here's the story of the day a Washington police officer is being held as a hero after saving a woman from her burning car, a harrowing ordeal that was caught on his body camera. The dramatic video shows Spokane uh, Spokane officer Tim Schwering frantically swinging his baton to smash a hole through the driver's side window of Kim Novak's smoke-filled car Friday night, and then flames were pouring out of the front end of the car. We got you, he yells, as Novak is heard begging him to help her. Uh, Then he rips the glass out after he got through, broke a hole through the glass with his hands, and then he helped Novak climb out the window before the two dashed to safety. He was swinging on that thing like Ken Griffey Jr. in the home run derby and beating it with all of his might, Novak told the news. God bless him. He didn't give up. He kept trying to save me, and by golly, he did. So uh, he's the hero of the day, Washington police officer, Officer Tim Schwering. Thanks for not giving up, my friend. And that's, I guess, one of the keys for all of us. Let's just not give up on people. They're still good. People make mistakes, but... uh, We don't give up, and true heroes are always going to be there and keep fighting for those that they can. That's the show, my friends. That's it. And the weekend. We'll be back Monday with more ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Until Monday, make it a great one. Let's look after each other. We'll talk again Monday.